Once upon a time, I was a Vita hater. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Grego 81, and this is episode 20, covering our selections for November 2015. For the retro title, Rich, Steven, and Floyd tackle a hidden gem action RPG for the Super NES known as Secret of Evermore. Over on the modern side, Steven and I believe we can fly in our chat about the crown jewel of the PlayStation Vita's library. It's Gravity Rush. As usual, all plot and gameplay spoilers are open for discussion in both segments. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at RFGPlaycast. You can listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. Most importantly, don't forget to log on to RFGeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the incredible games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. to the November RF Gen Retro Playcast for 2015. I'm your host, Single Banana, or Rich, and joining me are my two co-hosts, uh, Floyd. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. And Steven. Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, played a uh, pretty cool game this month in uh, Secret of Evermore. Um I'll start it off. It was my month to host the uh, game, so just go ahead and start and talk a little bit about the history of the game. Um, this one was released in October 1st of 1995. It was actually the first game developed by Square in the United States, and um, it was and actually in North America for that matter. Uh, it was also released uh, on PAL in February of 1996, but was actually a game that was never released in Japan. Um, not exactly sure why it was never released in Japan. Did you guys see anything about that or know kind of why it maybe wasn't released? No, I actually didn't know that until um, very recently that it never came out in Japan. But I don't know, maybe the game was just too too American. I, <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of the point of Secret of Evermore, I think. But uh, right, that, right, that would make sense. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Um, because yeah. it's the only game made by Square's American uh, branch, isn't it? Right, yeah. right. It was made in Seattle. It was it was made in Seattle, and it was kind of their, uh, I guess, under sort of their jump into the American market. You know, sort of a, a localizing. There, there was still it, there was still a lot of heavy control, from what I understand, from Japan uh, for this game. But um, as as many of you know, and I know Steven's going to talk about this later. Um, the game Secret of Mana came out before uh, 
before this game, and so there's often draws a lot of comparison between the two games, um, and and for good reason, which we'll get into. Um, but I, I think there was a lot of sort of mixed reviews because there there were so many comparisons between the two, and and maybe the reason that they never decided to release it officially in Japan. So. Now it's pretty nice that we have a game that people from Japan actually want to import, right? That's right. <laughs> we, we've we've got this, and um, they've got uh, Secret of Mana too. That's true. That's true. Um, so, just to get in a little more in the history, the original title of this game was Vex and the Mesmers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It sounds like it sounds like a bad uh, band. That's name. a really like bad like Uncle... hair metal band name. <laughs> 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 like one of Uncle Jesse's bands from Full House or something. <laughs> it sounds like to me. Vex oh, yeah, and the totally. Mesmers. <laughs> what was it? Jesse and the Waves or something like that. I, the Rippers. I, the Rippers. You're right. The Rippers. <laughs> so um, this game uh, was produced by Alan Weiss. Um, and he originally had this concept of a group of magic users who could tell dream stories and transport listeners into um, uh, the experience virtually. Um, and then during one of the storytelling sessions, Vex gets trapped in one of these worlds and starts to corrupt the dreams. And the game was going to be about finding Vex and defeating him. Uh, so that was the original concept of the game, but it was scrapped for a um, uh, for actually the version that we we have now and what we played. And we'll talk a little bit about that story. Um, but before, but before we get into talking about the story, I just want to talk sort of about our personal histories with this game. Have either of you guys played this game before? I haven't. This was my first time playing and, um, I, I was excited to, to play cause it's something that I've wanted to finally sit down and, and, uh, you know, knock mm-hmm. out for a while and finally got to do it now. Absolutely. How about you, Steven? Yeah, I... I remember renting this game once when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I I actually owned Secret of Mana when I was a kid and I right. played through that game a lot. It was you know it's a very nostalgic and a childhood favorite of mine. And uh, so of course I rented Secret of Evermore and I I didn't really get into it. Um, something about just the opening sections that seemed kind of unappealing to me. Mm-hmm. And it's always one I wanted to come back to and. And give it another shot because I've heard a lot of good things about it. So I was you know, glad to finally have a chance to do that you know, with our community playthrough. Right. Absolutely. Um, just thinking about what I was doing in, in 1995, in October of 1995, I was my first year at college. So I, I was gaming at that point, of course. Everyone games in college. But um, I, I, I do remember this game coming out. Um, I think one of the the coolest things about the game is the, the, the artwork, the cover artwork, you know, it's so, it's so bold. It's so just really cool. You know, you're fighting that giant bug. Um, and I think, you know, just almost the cover of the game sells it. Uh, it it looks action packed, right? It looks like a, like a cool game to play. But I think at that time I wasn't really into RPGs. I think I didn't get an RPGs probably till my sophomore or junior year. So I sort of, this sort of, passed by uh for me this and actually secret of mana so i've i've haven't played either of the games so um uh, this is sort of my uh first time i've dipped my toe into this uh series so um which which i shouldn't call it a series because the games are aren't related um story-wise right um but they are they are very similar um in ways um and uh 
Steven, since you've played it, I know we'll be we'll be getting into that quite a bit. So, um, do you uh, do one of you want to tell us a little bit about the story and uh, kind of what happens in the game? Uh, sure. So, the story starts out um, with the main character, who's a boy. He's uh, leaving a movie theater with his dog, and uh, they live in this fictional town called Podunk. <laughs> And uh, his dog starts chasing after this cat, and they end up in this um, sort of like this abandoned uh, lab area, I think. Mm-hmm. Like a mansion or something. Like that, right? yeah, it's, yeah, it's like this mansion, and there's like a laboratory at the top, I believe. And uh, I think the dog starts chewing on some wires, and they end up getting transported to this, this land of Evermore. Mm-hmm. And uh, you find out that um, Evermore is kind of divided up into four different regions each one is created from the minds of the the four people who were um transported to evermore um from podunk like 30 years earlier in, a, right. in an experiment gone wrong mm-hmm. and so i guess the story is just um you're going through these areas trying to find a way to get back to um your your hometown right right yeah it's got a very um um Back to the Future feel to it, almost right. Uh, you're kind of going back. It, you're not really going back in time, but you know you are sort of doing this sort of time travel sequence, it, or it, at least it feels like time traveling. It's like you said this mm-hmm. this whole idea that these places are um, basically created through the imagination of the the four people from Podunk who were sent there 30 years ago. And and each of these four different places are like representative of a different time period. Sure, sure. Some of them a little bit mixed up. I think. I think the um, the the second area. I think uh, Antiqua is sort of a a, yeah. a, a mishmash of like Egyptian, um, uh, ancient Rome, <laughs> um, and um, I don't know. I mean, there's pirates that show up. So, <laughs> so it's kind of just, it's kind of a bizarre area, right? Yeah, I thought it was odd that in that area there was um. A desert right next to the coast. Sure. So. <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> sort of like these worlds are, are based off these people's interests. Right. Much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so, um, just just out of curiosity, as, as you mentioned before, you, you play as a boy in, the, in a dog, and of course you get to um, name your character. There's, there's not a, def- is there a default name for these, these characters? Do you know? Not that I know of. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've heard that there is no default name. Mm-hmm. What What did you guys end up naming your character and your dog? If you don't mind me asking. And if you do mind me asking, tell me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I was actually a big fan of the uh, the wrestler Sting. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to be con- not to be confused with the singer. Right. <laughs> so around that time, I started naming a lot of my characters in games Sting, and uh-huh. that's just something in RPGs I've continued to do. So my character's <laughs> name was Sting. <laughs> Did you name your dog Gold Dust? Oh, that <laughs> no, would have been no. cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I actually named the dog at the beginning of the game. He he says something to the dog like "Where are you going, buddy?" or something like that. So I thought the dog's name was Buddy. Okay. So that's actually what I ended up naming him. Okay, Sting so. and Buddy. All right. <laughs> yeah. How about yeah. you, Floyd? Um, I, I I went with Fleech for for the boy, and sure. I, I know that's not okay. very creative. Uh, I went with Banana, so I think it's very creative. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. 
Um, and then I called the dog Buster. Buster. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you have a dog or anything growing up named Buster? Or... No, no. I just think it's a good name for a dog. Sure. Why not? Picking up a dog tomorrow for my kids for Christmas. So I've uh, just been struggling with names. And I think I struggle with this name as much as I'm struggling with uh, the one I'm going to be picking up. But um, well, that's that's one of the things that like I'm so conflicted about in RPGs. Is I find it so hard to name characters. Right, right. It's kind of nice when they do have a default. I mean, mm-hmm. I can always name the main character, you know, because I always like to, I like to use banana because we play, we do these playthroughs, and so like I'll often like take snapshots and stuff. So it's sort of like my proof that I actually played through the game mm-hmm. because who in their right mind is going to call their character banana, you know. <laughs> So, so that's kind of one of the reasons I do that. But I, I ended up naming my dog uh, Rolf. Rolf. For, uh, was a, yeah, big fan of the Muppets growing up. Oh, the uh, variety yeah. show yeah, in the seventies. Yeah. Oh. So the dog that plays the piano, his name's Rolf. So, uh, so that's what I went with. So, well, anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about the combat. Now, this is an RPG, but it's a very, um, it's not a turn-based RPG. It's is one where you're. Uh, um, it's very uh, action oriented, so you're doing a lot of moving around. You're hitting things, and of course, as in any RPG, the enemies have hit points and things of that nature. But um, really, um, you know, the combat is is uh, is fairly fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, just wanted to kind of talk about um, you know the different types of uh, of combat in the game and and such, and how you guys felt about the combat. Well, well, for for um, physical combat. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh there's like knockback when when you get hit or or if you mm-hmm. hit an enemy, yeah. And you know that works really well because you have um after you do a move it you have to let a meter refill before you can attack again. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're not attacking at full strength. Right. So and a lot of times you'll just miss. Or or you'll just miss. Yeah. Right. Um. So I yeah. think the knockback combined with the timer thing is a cool mechanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I not not to get started too early with the secret of mana comparisons, but uh, <laughs> I, j- just to kind of refresh my memory, I actually popped the cartridge in yesterday mm-hmm. to kind of just to compare the gameplay a little bit. Right. And when you, you mentioned the um, like the strength meter, mm-hmm. it actually refills refills a lot faster in secret of mana. Oh, does it? Was, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Interesting. Um, so there's not as much. You don't have to wait as long for like the. The, you know, the percentage to increase, um, which I guess is good because Secret of Mana doesn't have that knot back. So it kind of, there's, it's like a different approach, really. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like the combat's slightly more slow paced. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well mana for me, I've always thought of it as like Zelda meets an RPG kind of thing. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's a very good way to put it. And, you know, Evermore is, it's almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it's just you know very slight variances, but right. yeah, it's just a little bit slower. Yeah, I, I yeah I did find that the the strength bar was a bit annoying um, mm-hmm. in the game. Uh, I I can appreciate you know okay if you're attacking too quickly maybe your attacks aren't going to do as much damage, but I did think that waiting for that to charge up was a bit aggravating, and especially when you have like um, later in the game. Well, in the game, I should mention you have. You know, you have weapons in the game. You start out with a uh, a bone, which is sort of like um, it, it it turns into like a sword. That's sort of your um, your melee weapon. And then you get 
an axe, and then you get a um, a spear, which are your three basic types of weapons in the game. You get like a bazooka later, but that's completely you, you don't really play with that through much of the game. Hmm. Um, and um, with the spear that you can actually charge that up if you hold it down. If you if you level up your spears, you can charge that up. And I just thought that like doing that, though it it takes off more damage, it takes forever to charge up you know, those weapons and that, that strength bar. It's it's kind of, I, I don't know. So you didn't think it was again, worth... Go ahead. I was just going to say, when I was comparing the two games, uh, Secret of Mana and Secret of Evermore, I noticed that the charging, it charges a lot faster too. Like, I mean, you're charging your weapons up. So that kind of ties into the, it being a little more fast-paced, I think, mm-hmm. um, than Secret of Evermore. But... Um, yeah, you typically want to charge your weapons because it does so much more damage. But, you know, there's a trade-off there because it sure. takes a lot more time. And you almost have to ask yourself, would you be doing more damage if you just let it get to 100% sure. and just attack normally and be able to attack more times than you would you know, by charging it to, like, level 2 or whatever it was? I think 2 was the highest. But um, What's that? Charging what to level 2? Charging up a weapon. A weapon? Uh, each weapon goes up to level 3, actually. Well... The weapon does, but I think it only charges twice, isn't that right? Like the bar will only charge, like like the little bar well, goes your, up two times. You, yeah, you've got your energy bar that goes to a hundred, and then the right. bar goes yeah. all the way up, and then it goes all the way up again at level three. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, what you're saying. Okay. okay. Sorry, I was counting the first one as a third time. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I did find some of the the melee combat in the game a little frustrating at times. Um hit detection and hit box is a little um it felt a little off when I started playing the game. Once I got used to it, it was it was much better. Um but but it was a, a lot of times it was sort of hard to get the, you know, correct angle um um on an enemy and, and would find yeah. myself missing a lot there, of times. There were certain enemies that I had a really hard time hitting. Sure. Like those like flying enemies mm-hmm. in particular. Oh, like, you yeah. know there's like in the in the pyramids there are those like flying almost like skeletal birds or something, mm-hmm. but I, they were like impossible for me to hit. I just ran past like, all of them. <laughs> I, I, I always have a, have a hard time with flying enemies, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things, too. I mean, you, you could charge up a weapon like a spear and throw it, but there's there's another type of risk or reward in throwing that spear, especially at flying enemies, and, and a lot of enemies in the game were very um, dodgy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, sort of quick, and yeah, yeah, and so you would you would often just miss. You know, you try to throw it, or you'd have to wait for the sort of the right moment to throw it, and it was, it was hard to judge. I mean, with, with some enemies like raptors and and things like that, you would eventually you could figure out what their pattern was, and and you know, be able to hit them. But uh, um, I, I did find you know it frustrating when you would charge up so much and then you know just completely whiff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so. Um, so there, there were two types of, of combat that you could use in the game. Um, one was like we mentioned, like the weapon system. Um, and then the other was, um, alchemy, which was, is basically like magic, you know, in, in a lot of games. But with, uh, this game, the, the concept of alchemy, you're finding ingredients. Um, um, you can buy ingredients or you can just find them like throughout every level. Um, and you just use those. Uh, you get these alchemy spells from different people, from books, and um, you know, from uh, bookcases and scrolls and things like that that you might find. And um, you know, if you could combine these ingredients, you could 
you know, use these different types of spells to attack. So, um, uh, I know, um, Stephen, you, you mentioned that you didn't use a whole lot of alchemy in the game, right? Yeah, I think when I was at the second boss fight, the the snake thing, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I went, he's kind, he's hard to hit because he's sort of like out of range mm-hmm. um, from you. You can't really just walk up to him and hit him. So I went to use a magic attack. Like I think it was like the fireball or something. This is very early in the game, so you don't have a lot to choose from. Right. And it did like eight damage or something. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm not using magic anymore. So <laughs> fortunately, I had the uh, spear leveled up enough that I could throw it. Uh-huh. So I just used that. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that kind of set the tone for me for most of the game because I, I just kind of swore off magic at that point. Yeah, it's... Uh, one thing we should mention about this game is, like, not only can you level your weapons, I think each weapon has a max level of three, but um, a, a big part of this game is being able to sort of level up your magic. That also levels... Um, as your character levels, so you're you're actually leveling three things, mm-hmm. right? Your your characters, your dog, you you and your dog, um, your weapons, and then your magic. So that's that's a big part of the game. And the more you level up the magic, um, the more powerful it becomes. And um, ultimately, um, it seems like we we played the game a lot differently. I used a lot of magic, and um, it, magic becomes completely overpowered in the game. Uh, to where you don't even have to use a lot of attacks. Yeah, and you really have to invest in magic to level it up, and it can be costly because of the ingredients that it requires. But there, and there are actually enemies late in the game that really do require magic. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to take some time to level up a certain spell just so I could kind of, you know, get some damage in on those enemies. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good thing is you can level stuff up even with like lower level characters. Um, um, there, there are places in the game that you can definitely do a lot of magic grinding. Um, one of those is um, uh, just uh, east of the the uh, prehistoric, prehistoric village. Um, all those like kind of like turtle kind of I don't know what they are like turtle yeah, ostrich. I, I spent some time there, like powering <laughs> up my weapons and just getting experience right. just for general levels. Yeah, and you can actually come back there late in the game. Um, you get some alchemy like sort of late in the game that you can kind of come back to that spot and, uh, you know, work on leveling that up if, if you choose to. I mean, it's not, like you said, it's not necessary, but, um, you know, you, you can do that in the game, which is kind of nice. Floyd, what did you, how did you feel about the alchemy system? Um, well, did we mention that your alchemy levels up based on how much you use it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I must yeah. just zoned out for that part. <laughs> <laughs> um... You know, I was kind of like Steven uh, about the magic. I, w- I wasn't a big fan of it because um, I'm a I'm a big time item hoarder um, with right. these RPG games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I didn't like that you had to, you know, use your ingredients to, to use those alchemy spells. So I was always concerned about running out. Um, so I, I relied on on like physical attacks mostly and, and magic only when when it was needed. Yeah, yeah, and we should also mention that, um, you know, in order to use alchemy, you couldn't um, you couldn't map up to any buttons or anything like that. You actually had to go into your menu and pull up your menu before you before each cast, which um, to me was I, I don't know. It wasn't like it wasn't playing like playing like a Final Fantasy game where you can just kind of select, you know, um, that, that's turn based, and you can just sort of select something. And when when something's turn based, anyway, it's like the action is kind of stopped anyway until mm-hmm. you make it happen, right? But with this, 
um, it, it seemed to break up a lot of the fluidity in the game. I, I agree with that. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, like having to stop and cast. Uh, I mean, the good thing is, is when you brought up the, if you were casting the same spell over and over, if you brought up the menu, it would automatically be right there where you could just kind of plug it in mm-hmm. and use it. But um, yeah, it to me, it's sort of, and I don't know what better way they could have done it for this type of game, uh, being sort of an action RPG. Um, but it, but it sort of, um, like I said, it kind of broke it up for me, you know. Yeah, because it's uh, it is like real time combat, right? So right, and you have to pause everything yeah. to pull up a menu to cast a spell. Um, like I can't remember where where were the R and L buttons used for anything. I I don't recall because I don't I don't I mean, remember not, the not, it actually the only command I think those served were to make the dog sniff. That's it. You're oh, right. Which right, right, really, right, right. Yeah. Which isn't really. Yeah, I didn't really do that. That's that's why I <laughs> no. forgot. Because um, no. then that would have been yeah. perfect for like mapping spells. Sure, sure. That, yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. That would have been a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But you're right. Uh, and and kind of speaking about that, I'm sorry, Steve. Were you going to say something? Well, I was going to mention, you know, you talked about this is an action RPG with like some menu mechanics and Kingdom Hearts is the same way, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess Kingdom Hearts, you move the character with the analog stick and you can kind of navigate the menu in real time with the uh, D-pad. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how they, they handled it. Oh, I see. Um, that, that's I mean, so you funny. You can do that in this game, of course. So funny but, that uh, you bring that up because I, I made that comparison in my mind this afternoon. Like these two games are, I mean, they're not similar, but like they're both sort of like on the, on the weird unexpected side of like the square RPGs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange concept that they're like action RPGs with like these, with these very turn-based RPG mechanics Mm. and this, with these menu systems, that's how you use magic and items and any kind of skills is you have to navigate a menu. Um, and with, in Kingdom Hearts' case, it's while, the, the, in real time, while the action's actually going mm-hmm. on. And, and in the case of Secret of Evermore, you, the game actually pauses so you can navigate the menus. But uh, yeah, they are very similar in that way. Yeah. yeah. What, what did you guys think of the like ring menu system? Took a little getting used to for me. It's not something that I was familiar with. I'm sure Steven had an easier time with it, you know. Um, yeah. Um, I did not like it at first um once i figured out um how everything or, or you know what everything was attached to you know like what would control or or how i would get to my weapon choices um how i would get to um equipping things um how i would set my level of aggressiveness versus searching um once I learned how to do that, I, I was fine, and it, it seemed like, you know, it was it was very second nature. I will say this, um, and, and one of the things that I that I had to sort of look up uh, for the game was I had to look up how to heal, um, and, and the reason was is because I, I I have this game loose, I don't have a booklet, so I didn't know that like petals were the healing item, uh, right? I, I mean, I thought that was probably just another ingredient for alchemy. I had no idea. So I had to figure out how to get to petals, what they did, and um, you know how how that would you know work. Uh, so um, you know that that was a, that was a little aggravating. And I noticed online a lot of people are like, "How do I heal in this game?" They couldn't even like figure that out. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's something you really need the manual for because I was <laughs> I wondered the same thing and I, I went online and I'm, every, everybody seems to have that problem of not knowing how to heal when they start this game. Right, right. And it, it just has to do with the, the menu system and and knowing how to manipulate and, uh, you know, get go through the menu system. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, but, you know, like I said, I played um, Sugura Mana like, extensively when I, when I was a kid and the menu system is exactly the same. Um, you know, there's no no deviation at all, but I still when I played Secret of Evermore, I was still like, how do I heal? I just like I, I don't know why I didn't make the connection. Like it, that, I had to like cycle through the various rings. Like there was actually more than one. Right, right. You just did that usually by pushing what up on the D pad. Is that right? Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's um it's a it's a different type of system, like like you said, but I I think it works for the game. Um. I think it's it's not over overly convoluted, but you know it can be a little daunting to a new player and someone who's never played these games before, for sure, right? Yeah, it's just something you have to get used to. So one of the things I mentioned about the menu system is there's this option, and I don't know if you guys use this a lot, but the um, the whole like aggressiveness uh, sort of search um, option, which you could change, you could actually change. Um, for your character, um, you could change how strong your attacks were versus how much defense um, that that you would uh, that you would uh, or you would be able to use. Um, and so, and then with your dog, you would change how aggressive the dog would be in fighting, as opposed to how much the dog instead would uh, search for alchemy items, right? Did you guys use this system a whole lot? Do you do a lot of changing throughout the game, or um... uh, not really? I think maybe halfway through the game, I set the dog like all the way to the max aggressive level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just I just left it like that. And then, honestly, I didn't really notice much of a difference. Um, I think there was one point where I set it all the way down to search because uh-huh. I was trying to level up my weapons or something, and the dog kept killing the enemies, so I. Set it all the way down to search, and I don't, I don't think he didn't attack at all. Right, he won't attack at all if you go all the way yeah, down. Yeah, that's, that's the only time I noticed an actual difference. I didn't really notice a difference between like that neutral point and max aggressiveness. Right, right. Yeah, that was sort of what I did. I mean, I just, you know, I made sure that, like, you know, when I was trying to level up my weapon, like you said, I would put it all the way down. But when I was in a boss encounter or something like that, I would just crank it all the way up. Because mm-hmm. of the dog, I mean, wow. The dog is super overpowered in this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great companion. <laughs> yeah, you have to manually set him to use like his, his charge attacks. Uh-huh. But once you do that and he, he starts you know, he'll 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 charge in between attacks and he just he was just doing way more damage than I was. He was doing like two or three times the amount of damage that I was able to do. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean I think I think my dog at, at one point was definitely hitting for over a thousand. Um, damage like yeah, toward the end of the yeah. game, it, it was right, it was yeah. unbelievable. Um, but and and one thing we should mention while we're talking about the dog, um, one of the kind of the neat things about the game is as you're moving from um, as you're moving from place to place, your different area, your dog changes. Right? Um, it starts out um, when you're in Podunk, your dog's sort of like a little terrier, um, and then when you go to uh, Prehistoria, it's like a like a wolf dog or you know something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then um, Antiquia, it turns into is it that when it's the greyhound? Is that right? Yeah. That's okay. Right. 
and then in Gothica, it's a poodle. You know, <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. He must have done yeah. something bad to become to come back as a poodle. <laughs> hey, now <laughs> poodles were actually uh, during that time period. They were they were hunting dogs. They were bred as hunting. They dogs. they were yeah. Yeah, they were they were pretty great animals during that time. So uh, pretty vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, and then the final um, area, um, which is the futuristic level, uh, your dog is sort of like a um, flying toaster, <laughs> shoots lasers, <laughs> which is yeah. which is pretty awesome. Uh, and I think for for a lot of people, that's probably their favorite. Uh, uh, their favorite morph of the dog in the game, but I, I found I found it um, kind of funny that the dog would morph for every level, but you would sort of stay the same. I I don't know. It's kind of odd. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. point. I mean, I didn't really think about it much, but yeah, it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, yeah. I I wasn't, you know, it wasn't so bad that you that you wouldn't morph in the game, but I think one of the things that disappointed me in the game and maybe it's just they ran out of space and ability to do this but I, I was sort of disappointed that like when you would put on new armor um that you know your clothes or anything like that wouldn't change it all it always stayed the same you, you got your your orange uh michael j fox vest <laughs> on you know in your jeans and uh you know you, you sort of keep that on the whole time no matter what um you know no matter what type of armor you selected yeah, I mean, I guess that would have been cool, but I mean, I guess that's kind of typical of games from this era. Sure. I, mean, I can't, can't think of many 16-bit RPGs where the, the sprites change based on the armor they're wearing, but, uh, but yeah, that would have, definitely would have been cool if, it, if the game had done that. Yeah. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the items in the game. Um, were there any that you used quite a lot? I mean, I'm sure... Um, you know, at the beginning of the game, you're using pedals and things like that to heal, and then the there was the dog biscuit, right? Um, but once you sort of, um, you sort of started getting healing spells in the game, it seemed like it was a better thing to do just to use your alchemy to heal, because it would just keep leveling up your spell, right? And it would make your heals, you know, that much stronger. Uh, but were there any other items in the game that you guys used uh, quite a bit of, or or anything? Um, there was one item that I used some um, towards the end called Pixie Dust. Okay. Which, it's if you use it, it makes it so that if you lose all your health, you you won't die. It'll give you like I think it's like a hundred and fifty health back or something. Oh wow! So it's yeah, just sort sort of like a little safety net to keep you from dying. So I used that for some of the tougher bosses at the end. See, I I didn't even know about that. I knew that there was like I I knew that you know that was something you could buy in the game, and there wasn't there something else something called like essence or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I think that was um, something that cures like status effects. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe I'm not I'm not 100 sure on that, but I, I know there was an item that does that. So. Right. Well, I mean, yet again, I mean, you can just use alchemy for that. I just, yeah. I don't know. To me, and and I don't know how you guys felt, but I I almost felt like a lot of the items in this game were sort of throwaway. I just didn't feel like you know. I mean, they were in every town. You could purchase them. I I never purchased a single item. You know, I mean, I, I did purchase a lot of alchemy ingredients because, like I said, I, I did a lot, I did a lot of alchemy in the game. I used I used that to my advantage quite a lot and kept that powered up. But you know, the other items, I don't know. It just they almost seem like useless in a way. Yeah, I guess this is kind of a, just going back to like our our different play styles with this game, and I didn't use alchemy much at all. Mm-hmm. 
and one one thing I think that's important to note is that you, you can't you don't have access to all your your different alchemy spells. You can only I think it was like ten mm-hmm. that you can actually have equipped that's at a right. time. Mm-hmm. So I think I usually didn't keep those type of spells equipped, like the things for like resurrecting your dog and the 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 spell that would do the same thing as the pixie dust. Sure. Um, and like I I did use heal a lot. I actually got heal leveled up a few levels, uh-huh. but um. It wasn't like super high leveled, so it wasn't. It would do decent healing, but it wasn't like healing me like, like, like all my health. Right. So like, if I got like really, if I had not like really low health, I would use one of the good healing items. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always stay, you know, stocked up on on those type of items just to, you know, just in case I needed them. Mm-hmm. Um, something else in the game, and and I guess it's sort of considered an item. Uh, but something else you could find in the game were these things called call beads. And the way that you get a call bead in the game is when you, basically when you beat a board, um, like say the first board, the um, the girl from Podunk is named uh, Fire Eyes. And she's, is she, isn't she the granddaughter of the, um, um, of the professor who had the lab? I think that's right. Maybe. She might have been, she might have been the niece. Might have been the niece. But it, but it may, may have been the granddaughter. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember sure. exactly what her relationship was. I know she was related to him in some way. Yeah. Um. But when you, um. But when you finish, uh, when you beat Magmar, which is the kind of the final boss for that level, in the volcano, uh, you get this thing called a call bead. She's like, okay, well, you know, you use this, and you can sort of call on me, and then you can use that call bead to to do some sort of magic. I think each of the um, the four characters had maybe four different spells each mm-hmm. for total right around sixteen or so, and um, and that would um, you know they could they could work in different ways as far as healing, powering up your character in various ways, curing stats and, and things of that nature. Um, were were the call beads? Was that that something you guys used a lot or, or kind of took advantage of? I didn't use them at all until I got to a particular boss fight, mm-hmm. which was one of those fights that required you to use alchemy. Uh-huh. I had like 20 of them saved up at this point. Okay. So I just, and that, that boss fight was like impossible for me trying to fight uh, with melee. So I used all my call beats on that one fight. And uh, <laughs> I think I found a few more later on in the game, but I don't think I made use of those. So I think I pretty much just used them exclusively for that one fight. Yeah. Which fight was that? That's the um, uh, the rat thing, the uh, verminator. Oh yeah, he's like up on those crates. Yeah, so you can't actually, you can't touch them. Yeah, so you have to use use your spells. Yeah, yeah. That's um, I think that's probably one of the more aggravating fights in the game for a lot of people, from what I yeah, that's what I've seen online. That's the um first boss fight I really had any trouble with. Oh yeah, um, so you know, I, I had a little bit of trouble with the first boss fight, but uh, I I it wasn't didn't take much for me to you know come back and. You know, overcome that one, but yeah, that one, the the verminator actually took me a few tries. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of wiped that guy out pretty quick. I mean, like I said, you know, mm-hmm. and it's 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 our different play styles and how we played through this game, which is which is kind of interesting to talk about and 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 really neat. But for me, it was more I was using so much alchemy that when I got to that point, my alchemy was so powered up. Especially I was using crush uh, quite a lot, and um, it. I, I was able to take that guy out in pretty much no time. It was it was so high leveled. And you're right about that fight. That's one of the things that it kind of stinks about that fight is that your dog can't even attack during that fight. 
you know, yeah, you have to kind of yeah. do that one on your own. And so you have to either hope that your alchemy is really highly powered up or you've got a, um, a spear that you're able to throw, right? Yeah, well, that was the, I had a spear and I could throw it and it did a lot of damage, but the problem was he would cast spells too often. So I'd have mm-hmm. to like keep healing myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the spells he, he used really hurt because I mean, they would, I, I couldn't take more than like two. Um, and he would cast them pretty quickly. So I, did, I really didn't have enough time to really charge the spear up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, um, money in the game. Um, um, as, as you know, as you go from place to place, uh, you know, I think what the money in the first level is like talons. Um, at one yeah. point it's gold coins. At one point it's credits. And I can't remember what the other one was. It was, um, jewels or jewels or gems or something like that yeah Yeah. and so you when you would go to different areas one of the things you would have to do before you could buy something is you would have to exchange and exchange rates were not Mm -hmm. always in your favor (laughs) so it can be a little difficult sometimes a little aggravating i think it was like um for every two talons you would get one gem right something like that right so you, you would so all of a sudden your money was just cut in half Right, exactly, and I think it might have been the same when you went to the next level for you know, your gems would be every two gems for every gold coin or something you know something like that too. So. Which might have been an attempt to try to try to keep your your money at a from getting like too from keeping you from having too much money. I know you and I both said that we we both never had any pr- trouble with money in this game. We always had more than enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never had a problem with that. I mean, and that's even even after these, you know, exchange rates, you know, so. Yeah, and one thing you learn in the game is like you know, you sometimes you'll you'll dispatch an enemy and you'll pick up like um it'll leave something behind. You can pick up like talons or something like that. Mm-hmm. But one thing the game doesn't really tell you is like every time you dispatch or kill an enemy, um you actually get money each time. You get experience yeah. in money. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're never told what that amount is or anything. But if you, you know, if you need to buy some armor to get to, you know, get to another level or upgrade, all you get to do is grind for a little while. And and I never felt like, uh, one of the cool things about this game, I never felt like I had to grind a whole lot. I mean, I, I did some in the beginning just to kind of get some better armor, get leveled up a little more. Uh, because um, I'll be honest, that the first fight with the... Um, with uh, Thrax, uh, the mm-hmm. the big bug, um, that that sort of wiped me out a few times, and so I had to go back and get some better armor, grind just a little bit. Um, but I kind of felt like with the remainder of the game, as long as I was just like as I was moving through the screens and stuff, as long as I was taking out enemies as I was going along and not trying to avoid them, I felt like I, I leveled up really well and didn't have to do any grinding for the rest of the game. Yeah, that was my exact same experience also and and I felt like I I didn't actually want to run past the enemies. I actually like wanted to kill them like along the way because you know, this is a kind of a fast-paced action RPG. The combat is fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it doesn't feel like grinding when you have to, you know, kill a bunch of enemies for something. Mm-hmm. I, I know in a lot of like turn-based RPGs with random encounters, you might often find yourself trying to run from those battles because it just gets very uh, tedious after a while. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this game doesn't really have that problem. No, I didn't think so. I thought the game was pretty fluid in that sense and that, mm-hmm. y- you know, you didn't have to do a whole lot of grinding. I mean, I-, I don't mind grinding. I mean, 
I'm I'm the king. I mean, <laughs> the first time I the first RPG I played was Dragon Warrior. You want to talk about grinding? I mean, that is <laughs> that is a grind fest. Um, and, and I loved it. I mean, you know, as a kid, I thought it was the best thing ever. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, this game was very. Um, it, it didn't seem you know some RPGs you can just skip things and you can still be leveled up enough. You know, even if you skip things, but I felt that this game was very purposeful in the grinding and that, yeah, you can be underleveled if you don't, you know, clear, you know, clear the the way, you know, as you mm-hmm. go and then take out enemies as you go. So in that sense, I thought it was very um, even kill and, and, and really fair, um, you know, so so I thought that was I thought that was pretty nice. Um, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, one of the things we didn't really talk about much with the story um, was that there's this sort of whole backdrop in the story um, with, with sort of like the dialogue in it where, where there's this like sort of B-movie kind of tie-in into the game, which I thought was really cool. Um, none of the movies are, are real movies. But um, you know the the main character keeps referencing these movies throughout the game, and it's uh, it, it's really neat. Um, when when I was in uh, when I was in college, uh, one of the things I really liked to do was uh, uh, this is going to date me. Uh, when I was in college, I would collect VHS tapes of uh, like 1950s, like uh, these old like sort of um, uh, nuclear like monster films, you know, around that time, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I have a like a deep love for those type of atomic age type films, you know, giant insects and you know things of that nature. So, so the dialogue in this game to me was 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 really cool and a lot of fun. I, I don't know what you guys thought about the dialogue. Yeah i I didn't really have much of a you know, uh, too much to say about that. I mean, I, I know it's one of those things that us why a lot of people like this game because mm-hmm. it gives it a lot of personality and charm sure. and, and humor right um yeah but he, yeah he'll just kind of after something happens he'll quote he'll say this is like what happened to this guy in, in this movie or yeah know, or he'll say just like this guy says <laughs> from this movie and say some random quote but yeah. uh yeah it was it, yeah it's it, it a lot of games especially around this time didn't do th- things like that um i think that's part of like the how they tried to like Americanize this game or Westernize sure, this game? Sure, sure, that's a good point. Um, put uh, putting those those type of things in there. Yeah, I think that I think that sort of thing really resonated with a lot of people. That's why uh, a lot of people really, uh, you know, uh, like this game. Yeah, and and whether you like the the whole, you know, B movie sort of uh, references or not, I mean, you have to admit the game the game is pretty funny in places. I think you mentioned there was a, um, there's this like whole like. Um, you, you'd put this up on Twitter about the whole like sort of breaking of the uh, the fourth wall, you know that whole. Oh yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, I think it's in Antiquia, uh, in that northern city. I can't remember across the desert. Uh, there's a guy in yeah. the marketplace that's uh, <laughs> we're in a video. He's like we're in a video game, and it's it's kind of it's kind of funny. I mean, things like yeah, that kind of take you by surprise. Yeah, he says something like, um, "We're just sprites at the mercy of our button pressing overlord." And then it says something. He actually gives you an option to like turn him into something. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, if if I, I, for, I forget what he says, but he says something like, you know, may the 
overlord, you know, strike me down or something. And, yeah. and the game actually gives you an option to like turn him into something. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And if you choose not to, he'll give you, you know, the character in the, in the game that's you. He gives you like a, a better armor than what you currently have. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if I flushed that out that much. I should have. Yeah. You have to like hit the keep talking to him like several times oh. to get to that option. But very cool. Very cool. So, um, this game, uh, I should mention, was planned to be around 12 megabytes, but it ended up being uh, nearly uh, 24. <laughs> so, um, what they had originally planned for this game, um, uh, you know, was was greatly exceeded. Uh, but um, one of the one of the big things about this game, and I know, uh, I think it was Jerry. Greenwood, um, one of our forum members at RF Generation, had mentioned that one of the things that he, we we really on the forums got into that whole secret of mana, um, secret of evermore debate, like which is better, you know? I mean that mm-hmm. that that came out, of course. Um, having not played Secret of Mana, you know, uh, didn't have a lot to say about it, but you know, I was trying to approach the game with an open mind. Um, but but one of the things that that he mentioned was that Secret of Mana was that a four-player game? You could play up to four people at the same time. Is that right? Uh, three players. Three. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So and you needed a, a multi-tap, of course, which I'm sure not very many people had one of those. Sure, they did. I mean, you got to have it for your NBA <laughs> Jam Tournament Edition, man. Come on. Doesn't everybody own one of those? They should if they don't. I should get one. <laughs> yeah. But um. But yeah, so this game was, you know, this was sort of only a single player game. Um, but you could switch between your guy and your dog if you wanted to. I know, like to equip things, you know, on your dog with the different collars and stuff, you had to switch off, and you did that by, from what I remember, pressing the select button. Is that right? On the controller, would switch you off. Uh, yeah, that's from one it. to the other. Um, but I guess you could play as the dog and attack as the dog if you wanted to, but. I don't know. I don't know many people. Did, did that you have done that. did you do that much at all? No. Did you? No. Okay. <laughs> Floyd, no. did you do any dog attacking? No. No. Never. <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I kind of felt like that was. I don't know why they put that in there. Um. There. There. Now there are some points in the game that we should mention that are sort of puzzly, um, where you have to play as the dog. Um. Mm-hmm. There's the the tunnels. And then there's the pyramid, like going inside the pyramid as the dog as well and, uh, you know, releasing the different door lever- levers and things like that where you have to switch a little back and forth. Yeah. Um, I thought that was cool. I thought that was nice. I wish they would have done a little more with that in the sense of the puzzles. I, I didn't like the uh, um, uh, the sort of sewer scene underneath the castle or whatever. I, I didn't really care for that a lot. I thought that felt a little bit tacked on. Um, but I did like, you know, the aspect of um, using the dog in conjunction with your with your main character to like solve puzzles and things like that. And I would I would have liked to seen maybe a little more of that in the game. I thought anyway. Yeah, it was um, it's kind of surprising. It's it's very underutilized, mm-hmm. but yeah, that that could be a really cool gameplay mechanic. Trying to switch off and you know solving puzzles, you know, use stepping on levers and things like that. Yeah. But uh yeah, there's only maybe a couple times in the game where you do that. Yeah. That that could be that could just say more about me though and how I like to play games. I, I love puzzle games anyway, so maybe that's more me than other people, maybe other 
maybe other gamers would find that possibly annoying. So maybe. So um, I wanted to move on from gameplay and talk a little bit about the areas um, in the game. There were, of course, we we've sort of mentioned these already. There was uh, Prehistoria, which was sort of a prehistoric era uh, with dinosaurs area and swamps and things of that nature. Uh, Antiquia, which was um, again sort of a mishmash of pirates, Romans, and Egyptians, uh, but um, you know sort of. Um, I don't know, ancient history uh, sort of area. area. And then we had uh, Gothica, which was sort of a, uh, uh, it was more like a medieval type area, right? Yeah, there were like castles and things. Yeah, and then we had the last one was Omnitopia, which was the sort of futuristic um, space station uh, sort of area. So um, just kind of curious what you guys thought about these areas in the game. Um, I guess Prehistoria, I, that was not, I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to rank these in my head right now, but I'm trying to, it's, I'm trying to think if that's like second or third favorite, but, uh, I, I remember thinking it was kind of like an all right area. It wasn't, it wasn't really very annoying, but there was, um, I think you and I got into this, right? Because I was like, no, it's awesome because I love dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of mentioned that favorite. I don't really, um. Even in like Chrono Trigger, which is which is my favorite game of all time, the prehistoric era in that game is probably like my least favorite part of the game. Right. Um, just because it's just not really a setting that appeals to me very much. So I kind of had a, you know, I mentioned before that I played this game briefly as a kid, and like the early areas of the game kind of turned me off, and I, you know, I think that's why I just the pre prehistoric era just not the most appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I should mention too that um, uh, we we had talked about how they had planned for this to be twelve megabytes, and they had like they kind of got overambitious with it. But they were actually going to add a um, a fifth area um, called Romancia. I guess it would have probably been before you went to Omnitopia in the future, which would have been. Um, and this is what the developers said: they said where everything is all flowers and sweet stuff excessively so it was pink and purple <laughs> uh i don't know how much of that i could have handled <laughs> i'm kind of glad they cut it out and it would have made the game um probably tremendously long um but at the same time um as far as the areas were concerned i, I felt like pre the first three areas prehistoria antiquia and gothica they were all different, but I felt like they all um, had sort of similar flow and, and felt good. I mean, you could go from one place to the other. You weren't super limited um, in, in where you could go. But the last area, Omnitopia, just felt like a just felt like one big maze that you had to figure out. Right? Uh, very constrictive. Yeah, that last area was like a huge departure from the rest of the game, and that's I I I really hated that last area, yeah, the space station. Yeah, tell us how I you think my really feel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think my my favorite part of the game was Antiqua, the uh, the second area, because that's really where, like, w during the first part of the game, I was kind of just like. Yeah, this game's all right, you know. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. But when I got to Antiqua, I really 
started to enjoy it a lot more. Right. Um, that, that that's I would say that's definitely my favorite um, area in the game. Yeah, I think there's things I liked about all areas. I don't think I could, I don't think I could pick one that would be my favorite. I know which my least favorite is. That was the last area, and I think we kind of agree on that. But yeah, there's some good things and bad things about the areas. Like, for instance, Antiquia, the marketplace thing. I don't know. I mean, it, it was neat. You know, it was a neat concept, but it was sort of like. You only have so much time to do this, so how could you play this game for the first time and be able to navigate that marketplace in enough time? Yeah. Well, this is timed event. It was timed, but I think after you do the 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 Colosseum, sure. it's not timed after that. Right, right. You can come back to it and do it later, but yeah, and but you can really which, help yourself out and upgrade your armor, yeah, um, quite a bit um, if you're able to navigate that. And I actually, I, I did that after the Coliseum, and I actually got kind of into it. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And um, as, as I was mentioning, there's certain things about certain areas that, that I really like Gothica a lot, but um, yeah, I didn't like the sewer part, and I, and I wasn't yeah. a big fan of the forest maze either. That yeah. That was kind of an aggravating area. Gothica was cool, yeah, because it was like, I like that kind of medieval setting, and it had like the castles and everything. I feel like a lot of the music was good in that area too. Mm-hmm. I think that, in my opinion, that area probably had the best music in the game. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just an overabundance of the mazes because you actually had like you had two of those sewer areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one which one beneath each castle, and then there was the the forest maze, which was awful. Yeah. Um, there was that part where you control the dog, and you're going in those ducts. Which was awful, right? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was probably my least favorite part of the game. It was like controlling the dog and going through all the ducks and and things like that. That was, yeah, yeah, that was just. It, it wasn't that it was excessively difficult. I made it out of there without a walkthrough or anything, but it just again just something else that just sort of felt tacked on about the game. And there and there are a few parts of the game that, you know, like I said, that feel a little tacked on and. Um, mm-hmm. That being one of them. The other um, that we, we shouldn't fail to mention, before you actually get to go to Omnitopia, after you finish Gothica and uh, beat the boss in Gothica, you have to go on this fetch quest to um, to sort of go get the parts to make the rocket. Um, so I can't, I can't remember the scientist's name in Gothica, but he builds a rocket for you to shoot you up to uh, up in outer space to land on Omnitopia. Yeah, and I think this is really where the game started to go downhill for me, <laughs> um, where, where you got to this backtracking portion. Yeah. Because um, I think first, well, I guess there's not a set order, but I think first I went back to um, Prehistoria, I think, and you have to find two items there, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't too bad, honestly, but um, then you have to go back to Antiqua and go in, into the Pyramid to... Um, you have to fight this. There's a character named Tiny. Tiny yeah. It's like a pretty underwhelming, quote unquote, boss fight. Yeah. You don't even really fight no. him. <laughs> no, you just make it to where he's at. Yeah, and he gives up. Yeah. Um, but to get to that point, you know, I, I backtracked all that way, went under the pyramid, and there's a boulder there mm-hmm. where you have to cast the levitate yep. spell. And you don't have the levitate spell so equipped. You, don't, you haven't used a levitate spell since the beginning of the game, <laughs> so you don't have it equipped, of course. So right. I have to go all the way back out, equip it, go back down, 
find out I don't have the ingredients necessary to cast it. Uh-huh. So I had to go back out and find out where a mud pepper was. <laughs> I had to go all the way back down there. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was a pain. Yeah, yeah. And then plus you, you have to trek uh, across the desert again. Or you have to have, uh, was it Amulet of Annihilation to give it to uh, yeah. um, the the skeleton who uh, rowboats you across the desert. Yeah, so, I, was, I was sure to buy a couple of those. Absolutely. Always keep plenty of those handy as you have to play through the game, which... You know, it's 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 sort of a pain, and and just again something else that, you know, it, it's neat. You know, it, it is neat, but it after you do that so many times, I think throughout the game you have to do it five or six times. It gets a little, it gets a little mm-hmm. old, you know. And the first time I didn't have one, so I had to run across. Uh, yeah. And it took. I mean, it took a few minutes. I oh think, yeah, just yeah. To run across it. Yeah, so. I think I think you have to. I don't think you have one of those until well, you get to the city. There, there's a, like a little secret guy that's in the town the first town where you've washed ashore uh-huh. he'll sell you one for like ten thousand gems but you know you don't have that much when sure. you first get there so <laughs> absolutely so um yeah yeah and he, he's pretty much used to i probably used if you need one later and want to make it across later so yeah but yeah i i didn't mind the fetch quests so much there they weren't like excessively long i thought they were kind of neat um but one of the things I didn't really like about it was that they just reused some of the enemies and, you know, especially the boss. Um, yeah. You know, the, um, the the first boss, Thrax, who's the big bug, they basically just reskinned him from red mm-hmm. to gray or silver mm-hmm. and uh, just gave him a different name. Co- uh I can't can you pronounce it Colapetra Col- or something like that, but I mean it's just like really I mean I'm having to fight the same I mean it it was basically other than this bug having a little bit stronger spells it was basically the same fight you know yeah uh, which I mean that was probably the the uh, probably the best and most like intricate boss fight in the game for, in my opinion I, I yeah I feel like. Yeah, because that's like the first boss in the game, and then it's like this really cool. It's this giant like spider type thing, and he looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the sprite is really cool looking, and you know, it's the animations are good. Yeah, it's cool enough it's to put really... on the cover of the game and the box. Yeah, right? I, I thought that was surprising too. I mean, that's the <laughs> most iconic. He, that's the most iconic yeah, image in the game. He's on the he's on the cover of the game, so I thought it'd be like the final boss or something. Nope. But it's the first boss in the game. Yeah, and. um yeah, every boss after that felt pretty underwhelming in comparison. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just, you know, they might have their little ins and outs, like Vigor, like the Gladiator. I mean, you would have to hit him from the back. That was kind of a neat fight, but yeah, yeah, that was kind of yeah. Cool. But the the other fights just seemed to be just, you know, there was no real, there were no real patterns to figure out or anything like that. They were just kind of all straight up, just sort of, you know, heal and you know, slash type battles. Yeah, I know some... Or in my case, spam uh, alchemy. <laughs> I mean, some, like, at the start of the battle, my the dog would just run in there and just decimate the enemy, and like, the battle was over in, mm-hmm. in no time. That's how most of these fights worked out mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them. Um, do you any, have any favorites or uh, least favorite boss battles in the game? Well, yeah, favorite was definitely Thrax. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, and Vigor, the Gladiator, was pretty cool, too. Yeah. Um, 
I'm actually looking at, at our list here. I like the, the Aqua Goth. I'll throw that one in. The, the octopus that was in the that tunnel. Was, yeah, that was one of the more uh, impressive ones. Now, that tunnel was annoying if we're talking about yeah. other annoying places yeah. in the game. But I, I did I did like that battle Um, you know, with the tentacles. I thought that was a really cool scene. Um, But the, the dragons were just kind of, ugh, you know. And I did like uh, the yeah. Mongola fight, too. Yeah, the Mongola one was one of the better ones. Because uh, you had to fight you know, those puppets. Um, I actually, um, after, right after I finished that battle, killed Mongola, I, I realized I'd gotten quite a bit of experience from the puppets, so I was thinking to myself, I should have just, you know, grinded on these puppets for a while to gain some, get some levels. But. It's a phrase I never want to hear again. I thought I should just <laughs> grind on these puppets for a while. <laughs> I'll take it out of context. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, the dragons, I, I thought those were um, the sprites. I thought looked really bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're goofy. Because, they're really, yeah, goofy. yeah. They really were. These like elongated kind of necks. It just really didn't, like you said. I mean, it just didn't really fit. I mean, you got, you know, you've got Thrax. It's really like menacing. You know, that that's. A, I mean, you've got a like a, this giant bug with this rib cage that opens up with his heart, and you know these yeah. awesome like long like arms. And then you know you you start getting into some of these other enemies and they're just kind of they're kind of goofy looking and they just don't seem to fit with the with the game. But know. yeah, I know like the, you hear the in Gothica the queen says something about um you know oh he'll he'll never make it past the dragon in the in the forest or something like that. Right. So I'm expecting this massive dragon. Like I'm think I'm imagining something like that dragon thing in Chrono Trigger mm-hmm. in like the prehistoric area oh, yeah. on like the Tyranno yeah, Lair. Yeah, yeah. And then you see that the one you actually get and this is. Like you said, it's this goofy looking thing. I don't even. It just kind of floats around, and it looks it looks really dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I mean, that's a that's a fight you have to do twice. I mean, there's a, there's another dragon yeah. that's a different color, yeah. but it's you know again, it's just a you know a reskinned um, boss, which is which is a little unfortunate. I thought, uh, yeah, certainly in my opinion. So, but the um the snake was. Kind of interesting I, one I too. I like that one. I like that one. I I, yeah. I didn't like being limited by terrain and and where you could mm-hmm. where you could go. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a cool boss. I mean, when you've got those two bosses as your first two, you you you're sort of expecting big things throughout the game. But I did find, like you did, that uh, that a lot of them were you know somewhat disappointing, you know, mm-hmm. and and not cool. I did I did like the snake. I like the sort of the mode seven in the background where the snake was moving, you know, yeah. like through yeah. the swamp. That was. That was that was really cool. So I guess we can't uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the final boss or the quote unquote. Well, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> the quote unquote gauntlet of uh, enemies, uh, which was yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. It kind of starts out with I think like what there's a couple of raptors, a couple of spiders, just kind of. Regular enemies you've seen throughout the game, they kind of start coming at you, but they're, like, really powerful. They were really damaging me a lot, mm-hmm. like, almost killing me in one hit. Yeah. Um, so you kind of go through those, and then you fight. I think you fight your, your clone um, oh, again. You do. You do. There's a clone yeah. of you and your dog that you have to fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you fight, um, again, Magmar number two. So there's, yeah. there's a second Magmar that you have to battle, which is... Again, just you know, just reusing a sprite, 
Um, and, you know, I think it was gray instead of, you know, the fire color that it was the first time you fought it. And um, after you defeat him, I mean, it, it's it's nonstop action. So it's, it's a long battle. You know, it actually, mm-hmm. I forgot about this. It starts out with this. You have to destroy these fans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, like a wall of fans. It's really bizarre. Yeah. But, but it, it culminates into this battle with, uh, uh, Carlton's, uh, robot, uh, is the, is the enemy. And it's, oh, no, it's, it's Carl Tron. Carl Tron. It's not, not Carlton from Freshman. It's not. Okay. <laughs> and the dude's not doing a little side dance, you know? <laughs> there needs to be a ROM hack of this. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Oh. Oh, so, yeah, which is, you know, it, it's the 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 last battle. It's not. What's the best way to put it? I mean, it's not complex. Good. It's yeah, not good. It's <laughs> a good way to put. It. I mean, I, I got I got really frustrated with that fight. I didn't. I I beat it on the first try, but I I had quite a few close calls. Like I, I kept that pixie dust on, uh-huh. so it was like my safety net. Yeah, my dog. Pretty much just ran in there and got himself killed. Oh yeah, you just gotta let the dog die in that fight. Yeah. I mean, there's. I kept I kept trying to revive him with the with the biscuits, but he would just keep getting himself yeah, killed. Yeah, he just so. runs into it. He's not gonna attack enough or, or make it close enough to attack. So, but fortunately, um, I guess we didn't talk much about the bazooka. Yep. I had I the bazooka used. on hand, and I don't know if you knew this, but there's actually a glitch with the bazooka, to where you essentially have infinite ammo with it. No, I had no idea. Yeah, I think there's three ammo types for the bazooka, mm-hmm. and I think two of them, the ammo's glitch, so it just never decreases. Oh, wow. So And the, and one of those is the strongest type, which is like the cryo blast or something. Yeah, that's what I was using. Yeah, it's, it, the ammo just never decreases because huh. it's, it's glitched. I had bought them all, but I, yeah. you know, just because I'm like, well, I've got all this money, I might as well, right. you know? Yeah. So I, I did, and then, um, yeah, I mean, the fight was... I mean, yeah, there's a pattern to the fight, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like uh, dodge and then shoot really quick, you know, after he fires. I mean, that, that was that's pretty much it. It wasn't, there wasn't anything deep or complex about the fight at all. I mean, it's just, you know, you walk around, you dodge, and then you, you fire, you know, when you have an opening. Mm-hmm. And that, that's that's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, I pretty much just, just try to stay to the side of them. Yeah. It just hit him like on that horizontal plane. Yeah, so very disappointing. Now I, I don't know if you know this or not, or if you even did this battle. Um, I think one of the more disappointing things in Omnitopia is that there aren't really any boss fights until you get to the end. But there is a hidden boss. Did you were you able to fight the hidden boss, or did you find the hidden boss? I I didn't fight it. I I knew about it because I I'd kind of been referencing a. Uh, uh, walk through on YouTube sure. here and there when I got stuck. So I, I saw it, but I knew from what I understand, the code there's a little password you need, and it's and it's random. I mm-hmm. think it is. So I I, w- I didn't uh, want to you know spend time trying to figure that out. And, and from what I could tell, I don't think you really got anything special for no, beating them. You don't. And so I just I didn't feel like bothering with it. At this point, I was pretty fed up with the game. I just was just trying to get through. Yeah, it, so. that's how I was at the end. Yeah, I was just kind of dragging on. At the end, and I hated mm-hmm. that because I felt like the rest of the game was was really nice. It was a really fun game. I mean, you know, yeah. I've, you know, I've I've got my issues with the game. There's some things I didn't like, like I said, some of the rescanning and stuff. But you know, overall, I mean, I feel like the reason they had to do a lot of the rescanning of some of the enemies is because they 
they put so much effort into the graphics and the environments of this game. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. This is one of the more beautiful games that I've ever played. I mean, the, the areas were really highly detailed and just just really cool. And, and I know you had made a statement at the um, um, on the forums about, like, one of the things that, you know, you felt were different about this game, that, that the environments were very drab as far as compared to, like, Secret of Mana. Yeah. yeah, and that, that was more, I was still in Prehistoria at this point. So, and everything in Prehistoria is kind of brown sure. and you know, really a dark green color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, I didn't find it very appealing to look at. And, and like, it's, you know, of course, I'm always going to be comparing this game to Secret of Mana. Sure. And in comparison, Secret of Mana is just a very bright and colorful and vibrant game. Mm-hmm. But the later environments um, in, in Secret of Evermore, I thought were looked much better. Sure. Um, and it's not saying that Prehistoria looked bad. It looked good on a technical level. I just didn't quite like, I, I didn't like the, um, the artistic design of it, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it is everything is really really detailed. Like the environments look really good in this game. Mm-hmm. There's you know a lot of great detail. Um, yeah, yeah. I had, I I kind of I kind of thought about what you said, and I come I came to this conclusion that you know a, a lot of the reason that the game is sort of drab as far as the color palette and things of that nature is that you know I mean if you think about the prehistoric era. It would have been drab. I mean, there would have been no real bright colors. You know, they didn't really have the ability to dye and, and do things of that nature. And as you progress through the game, you know, the game gets a little brighter and brighter. Um, and it, it and it kind of fits the, I guess, sort of assumed era that each of these worlds takes place in, if, if you will. Yeah, that's that a, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe that's why I don't really like prehistoric environments, you know, in general. <laughs> you know, <laughs> lack of color. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I thought the um, I thought the graphics in this game, the sprite work, and you know, I mean, everything was tremendous. Um, I, I'm I'm like you in the sense that I, I did think some of the bosses could have been done a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. but but overall, I mean, uh, it's a, a really really beautiful game. Um, and, um, I, I was, I was very impressed with it. And, and again, I haven't played Secret of Mana, so I don't know what it looks like, but, um, from what I understand, it's a really beautiful game. And so, uh, at some point I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited to check that out at some point. Yeah. I think, I think Evermore looks, looks better on a technical level mm-hmm. uh, and it is much more detailed mm-hmm. than Secret of Mana is, but, um, I, I just kind of prefer the, how, how vibrant sure. uh, Secret of Mana is. Sure. Sure. Um, one of the things that we would be remiss not to talk about would be the music and sound effects in this game. Um, I want to mention that um, this this game, oddly enough, being the first Square game published in North America, was scored by a kid who had just graduated from high school or was about to graduate from high school. I mean, so odd that they would take a chance on someone like this to score the game. The guy's name was Jeremy Soule, and this was his first game that he had ever done. Um, I mean, this is a big deal, you know, Square's first North American release. Um, but he, um, uh, since then, he's done such games as uh, Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate, uh, Dark Alliance, uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, uh, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, um, and, um, I mean, he's had an illustrious career, 
Uh, but the guy came straight out of high school, if you can imagine that. Uh, he sent in a demo tape. Um, he, he, he was a big video game fan and had always loved, uh, you know, video game music and, you know, sent in a demo tape of some of his work. And they actually hired this kid to uh, score this game. So um, that's that's pretty impressive, um, you know, for somebody with those types of credentials. But I, but I will talk about the game. I know that a lot of people do have issue or, or take a lot of issue uh, with the music and sound effects in the game. So I'll let you uh, guys kind of take away on what you thought about the music. Um, I When I f- kind of first started playing the game, I, I felt like I didn't like the music very much. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that's because like in prehistoria, there's actually places where there aren't music. There are certain areas where they use like these ambient sound effects as sort of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't like that. Um, however, as you progress through the game, there's that there, I feel like the music gets much better. Sure. There's still, there's little patches though. Like the forest mm -hmm. maze, you can only hear like sort of like birds chirping and sort of like the wind and stuff like that. It's very, very just ambient and very, um, you know, very low key. Which, which from what I understand, that's really what they were going for Mm -hmm. with this game. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of had the opinion for a while that the soundtrack wasn't good in this game, but. I think it was yesterday I went on YouTube and found a playlist of this game's soundtrack and listened through it. And, it, and, and the tracks were actually pretty good. Oh, okay. It's just that they're, like you said, they're they're, very, they're more atmospheric and low-key, so they're not as memorable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of why I uh, di- felt like I didn't like this soundtrack at first. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, the, the tracks themselves are, are pretty good. Yeah, well, I could, I mean, I could certainly understand that. I mean, um, it's very, as I said, um, very minimalistic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have some music in places, uh, but for, you know, a lot of the places, you, you're just getting a lot of um, sort of environmental sounds and things like that, um, which is, you know, at the time this game was released, I mean, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, music for video games was... I mean, very top-notch and something that people were really uh, putting a lot of focus on in their games at the time. Um, so it, it does feel, when you first play the game, it feels very out of place. But mm-hmm. I actually really liked it. I mean, I, 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 f- I feel like, you know, this guy deserves a lot of kudos for, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, having the gumption to kind of... Uh, to do it this way, you know, how he, you know, how he saw this game, uh, you know, being, um, sounded out and I, I don't know, it works for me. Some, somehow it works for me. I just, I really appreciate it and, and really like it. It's, it's different. And, uh, you know, I, I can, I can really appreciate and get on board with it. Uh, I don't know something about it. I really like. Yeah. I know there was, there's, I think maybe one track that kind of stands out to me and that's, um, in Gothica, I think okay. it's like Ivor Tower. Okay, yep. That sort of like town theme. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is that track is, the way it sounded, it kind of gives you the impression that there's something kind of wrong with this town. Okay. That's at least, at least the impression I got from listening to uh-huh. it. And, um, and, and it was very subtle, though. It was A bit of foreshadowing, um, if you will. Yeah, it was this kind of subtle track that 
you know, it didn't sound ominous or like like really ominous or anything, but it it still just kind of had that little bit of uneasiness to mm-hmm. it. Yep. And that, that really kind of stood out to me is, you know, being able to capture that um, the way uh, the way Jeremy Soul did with this game, and uh, that that was yeah for me that was probably the standout track in my opinion. Oh, that's cool, and probably something that I should. Um, I, I like what you did. Like you went back and you actually pulled up the soundtrack and listened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find when I'm playing games, a lot of times um, we'll get on these calls and everybody like, oh, well, I love the soundtrack. You know, this is my favorite song, and this is. You know, this was great. And, you know, other mm-hmm. than like Mega Man 2, which we talked about early in the year, who, <laughs> you know, know that soundtrack by heart, you know, yeah. soundtracks just don't really stick out to me a lot of times. Um, for this game, it did, you know, because it was so different, I think. Um, but I think, you know, you did the right thing in going and like listening to that and something I should probably be more aware of and, yeah. and, and do before, you know, before we, we go on. Uh, go yeah, on I'm really glad I did because I, if I hadn't done that, I think I'd would have a pretty negative opinion of the soundtrack of this game right now. Okay. Yep. So it really kind of gave me a new perspective on it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, just wrap it up with some final thoughts here about the game. Um, I know um, before this before this call um, and on the forums, I know Stephen was like, you know, it's going to be really hard for me not to talk about Secret of Mana. I, I've had to bite my tongue a couple of times. <laughs> and I understand. I'm trying, I understand. trying not to be obnoxious about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and you want to give the game a, a fair shake, you know? I mean, anytime... Yeah, I want to be objective. Yeah, anytime you play a game, whether it be a sequel, um, you know, or a game that, let's say, one of your favorite um, uh, game designers has done, you always want to kind of enter that with an open mind and not think about what they've done in the past. And it's hard to separate the two. It's nearly impossible, if not impossible, if you, you know, if you, if you already have that uh, on your mind. So, so now Stephen, I'm, I'm going to give you your chance since you're the <laughs> only one out of the three of us who've played secret of uh, mana uh, to just let us know, you know, how you felt um, the games compared. Well, I, still have the opinion that Secret of Mana is the better game and I you know I okay. I'm sure some of that is at least some of that is attributed to nostalgia mm-hmm. um but you know there are things I think each game does does better than the other mm-hmm. like I talked about the graphics the graphics were technically superior to um Secret of Mana you know there was more detail in the environments but I, I mentioned I kind of preferred the you know the the artistic direction that Secret of Mana has, but that's kind of a you know a to each his own kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the sprite work we talked about how some of the sprites in Secret of Evermore looked kind of bad, like the the dragons and things. I mean, that, yeah. a lot of them were pretty good, right? Um, but like in in general, but like the bosses in particular, some were pretty underwhelming. And uh, you know. It could be a nostalgia thing on, on this, but I feel like I really prefer the boss sprites and the bosses in general in Secret of, of Mana. Mm-hmm. Um, musically, you know, I talked we talked about how Secret of Evermore is more atmospheric, whereas Secret of Mana has more like memorable melodies. And um, I actually I've always thought Secret of Mana has a pretty underrated soundtrack. I you know I, I never really hear people mention that one, but I really enjoy it. Mm. And there's, like, particularly the, the boss music. Like, but the boss music in Secret of Evermore was one of the tracks that I really didn't like. I didn't think it worked worked very well as, you know, this this boss fight music. Mm-hmm. 
but I love the boss fight music in Secret of Mana. Like you should just, uh, Rich, sometimes you should maybe go on YouTube and just listen to it because I think it's it's this kind of frantic sounding, this epic, really cool track, and it's one of my favorite like boss themes uh, in all of gaming. Yeah, I, I hope I hope um, that sometime that's a, that's a game that we could maybe convince enough people to play. We usually try to. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, a lot of people that listen to our playcast um, know that we usually try to keep the games under 40 bucks just to make them affordable to max out participation. But I, I do hope that that's one game that maybe we can get enough people to hop on board and, and maybe play at some point. I think uh, I think I, I know at yeah. least I would enjoy that, and you would probably enjoy returning back to it as well. Sure. Yeah. So. I, um, one thing I found surprising was I always, because the gameplay is so similar with these two games, like they're almost identical. I always thought they used the same engine, like with Secret of Evermore, they they basically just took the the engine of Secret of Mana right. and maybe tweaked it a little bit. But I read somewhere that they actually built it from the ground up. Hmm. They didn't actually reuse it, but they just basically tried to make it exactly like um, Secret of Mana. So <laughs> that's odd. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm not really sure <laughs> what 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 the the purpose of that was, but you know it's. But I always felt like there were some minor differences with the gameplay, just just these subtle variances. But uh, yeah, I, I guess that's why. So um, and I guess I guess lastly, um, I will say Secret of Evermore. It, it's a much more atmospheric game, mm-hmm. and it has a lot more like personality and humor to mm-hmm. it. Right. Um, Secret of Mana feels much more traditional, mm-hmm. and I th- I, th- I really think that's a big reason why people are drawn to Secret of Evermore is because of that sense of atmosphere sure. and, and the humor and it, it really it feels unique mm-hmm. because of the you know the the things like the B movie references mm-hmm. and you know, all those type of things. And something so, you um, mentioned before, it feels more westernized as well. Yeah, exactly. And then probably yeah. why uh, North yeah. Americans probably uh really really like the game and could be some of the reason it wasn't released in Japan. And your character looks like Michael J. Fox. <laughs> That's <so>. right. <laughs> well and and you know one of the things with this game, and one of my questions was, does it, you know, does Evermore get a Secret of Evermore get a bad rap due to its namesake? I, I think I think it does a bit. I mean, you've got the Secret of Mana, you've got the Secret of Evermore, which follows it. So naturally, people are going to think that this is a sequel, which it's not. Um, the they had planned on possibly just naming the game Evermore and leaving it at that. And my my thing is, do you guys think that if they had just left the name at Evermore, do you think it would have gotten such a harsh rap? Do you think that it would have drawn such strong uh, comparisons uh, to uh, Secret of Mana? I, I think it may have helped improve the game's reputation a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's, like I said, the the gameplay is so similar right. i think people would have made the connection sure. anyway. um my my opinion my, my theory on why this game kind of has the, the biggest reason why the game kind of has a the bad rap mm-hmm. from from back in the day is because a lot of people who had played secret of mana knew it was a multiplayer game sure so you know they they saw secret of evermore they, you know it's, it's called secret of evermore so it's similar namesake it, the game looks similar there's two characters that mm-hmm. you know that you have the option to control right. people assumed it was multiplayer and then it wasn't and i think that generated some backlash yeah i mean we're still talking about we're we're talking about games that were brought up in an era where couch co-op was still the norm right i mean yeah i mean, I mean it wasn't it was, you know 
I mean, I remember back in those days, I, I played this game quite a bit in co or Secret of Mana. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I played Secret of Mana quite a bit in co-op. Yeah. Um, with you know ha- having friends over or something, and uh, you know I had a lot of fun with it. And um, I'm not sure when I first played Secret of Evermore if I knew it was a one-player game or not, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that factored into my opinion mm-hmm. uh, on the game at, at all. But um, it, I I can't really recall, but. I think that could very well be a reason why some people sort of dismiss this game or and the game got some backlash. It's because it just they expected it to have multiplayer and it didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, just one more thing I wanted to talk about uh, was the ending of the game. Um, kind of like the thoughts on the ending. I, I know the boss battle at the end wasn't um, you know as great uh, as we expected it to be, sort of anticlimactic. But the the ending to me felt was was very nice. I really I really liked the ending and you know the credit sequence and everything. You know, going back, I, I think I would have maybe liked to have seen what happened to more of the um, more of the other Poduck residents. Um, that we we didn't get as 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 much of that at the end, though we did get the professor at the end and. Uh, we got to see the uh, the robot uh, Carltron, mm-hmm. and uh, which, which was just kind of neat, you know, him, uh, you know, rubbing his hands together at the end, you know, yeah, like uh, yeah. uh, mischievous, and then it says the end, and it's got the big question mark. Um, yeah. I, I thought that was really neat, and, the, and I think the game really sets itself up for a, a sequel, and I hope that that's honestly after playing this game, I really hope that that's something that. And, you know, some studio or Square um, maybe thinks about doing down the road. I, I don't know how, maybe it's too late, though. I mean, I, I don't know that this would, game would be as appealing on a uh, on a more modern system, though, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, surely they, if they were to make a sequel, it would be almost completely different type of game. I mean, it, it would, I highly doubt they would make it like a retro-style game. It would be this kind of modern uh you know I, I don't really know how they would go about doing it yeah. but i don't think it would be this the same thing that secret yeah. of evermore was yeah um, as so. goofy and as cheesy as secret of evermore <laughs> was it just it doesn't seem like it would translate into like a a more modern probably more mm-hmm. more serious game the games these days seem to be you know sort of more serious like third person like action shooter type things yeah. Um, and I just, I, I don't know that that would, you know, translate well into a, a new Secret of Evermore game. I feel like it would almost yeah. have to be retro style if they were going to do it, but yeah. I don't feel like anybody's going to take make it into a, they could make it a, they could make it a first person shooter. Yeah. yeah. You never know. Yeah, true. I mean, there, there was, there was Turok where you go around shooting dinosaurs. <laughs> true. So they can go back to Prehistoria and shoot dinosaurs. <laughs> Well, do you guys have any other thoughts about the game? Anything that we sort of neglected to mention? I think we covered most of everything pretty well for this game. Uh, no, I just uh, probably say it's you know this is a game that is probably overlooked quite a bit. It has its flaws, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's, it's it's a good game and you know, people should check it out. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to others who are interested in um, um, you know playing a you know an RPG such as this. I mean, I, I feel like it's definitely a game that 
anyone who collects for the um, Super Nintendo needs to have in their library, and at least needs to pull it off. You need to pull it off the shelf and play it because it's a it's a really fun game. Um, and uh, really glad that we decided to play it this month. So, so thanks, guys. I appreciate you joining us. I, I do want to mention um, this December. It's uh, the holidays are upon us. So, as usual, uh, here at RF Generation, we're going to be having a competition. And um, two years ago, we did um, Streets of Rage. We played Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3 and did a high score competition for those. And then um, last year, we did a shmup competition, uh, which was a lot of fun. And this December, we decided to do something similar, have a competition. Uh, got a really cool trophy that we'll be handing out. And um, we decided to go with the genre or theme of uh, running gun. And I picked some kind of cool games. We're kind of combining the uh, retro and the modern uh, sides and just kind of putting it all in one. These are kind of games that you can just kind of pick up and put down. Uh, week one, we're going to be playing Contra on the nin uh, original Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, week two, we're going to be playing Rolling Thunder 2 on the Genesis. And then week three, we're going to be playing uh, Metal Slug 3, uh, which is on Xbox. It's on... Uh, Several anthologies, uh, PS2, PSP, um, what uh, Wii, right? Yeah, uh, there's one on the Wii, uh -huh. and uh, I think um, it's uh, also downloadable as well. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, on some of, I don't know if it's Xbox Live or uh, I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's on Steam and Xbox Live. It it may be on PSN. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. I hope uh, every, anyone listening to this, even if you're not a member at RF Generation, please come over, check out our forums, uh, play with us in this playthrough. We've got a really, really kind of cool trophy that I've actually crafted for the running gun. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. We just kind of enjoy hanging out. It's a fun time of year. Um, just come over, uh, sign up for a free account at RF Generation, join the forums, and uh, join the playthrough. I think you'll um, have a good time and you'll get to meet a lot of great people on our site so anyway all right well that wraps it up for our uh retro uh november playcast for secret of evermore um thanks for joining us guys i really appreciate it So, Stephen, believe it or not, once upon a time, I was a Vita hater. Whoa, I would have never thought. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I am a self-proclaimed Sony fanboy. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of the term fanboy, but I, I am a Sony guy. I, as much as I love Nintendo and the Microsoft Xbox platforms, uh, I love them all, but... Uh, I think the PlayStation 2 is the greatest console of all time, and I've kind of built my collection around the PlayStation 1, the PlayStation 2. Uh, not not the PSP's biggest fan, because I always felt the hardware was a little bit flimsy and it had issues with the, with the hardware itself. But I, I like my PSP, and I play it quite frequently. When the Vita came around... I, like most people, had a real problem with the propri proprietary memory card. Uh, 
which is still to this day uh, just the main uh, concern for potential Vita owners is that they require these memory cards that can cost upwards of $100 for a 32 gig card, which is obscene for memory in this day and age. So as much as I loved Sony, uh, when the Vita came out, I was really turned off by it. However, I had a coworker who had a Vita and it, it had a 32 gig card in it. And just out of the blue, he knew I liked video games and he said, you know, I want to get rid of this thing. Do you want to take it off my hands for $150? I said, sure. Like, why not? Like that just totally, I mean, the system was retailing for 200 at the time and it had the card in it. So that totally negated the problem with the memory card. So lo and behold, I had a Vita and I already had my PlayStation Plus subscription at the time. So I became a Vita owner. And one of the games that came out early on when the PlayStation Plus program was introduced was a title that we're going to be talking about in this segment, which is Gravity Rush. Um, this is a game that is known still to this day as kind of the crown jewel of the Vita's library. It's the, the killer app, the system seller, if you will. And it's the game that is kind of synonymous with the Vita. It goes hand in hand. It was one of the first games that I played to completion when I got my Vita. Uh, my original save file, when I was looking at it, was from early 2013. And the first time I played the game, I loved it, but I had some really uh, harsh frustrations with it, which we can discuss when we get into the gameplay and stuff. But now we can talk about it together because I'm revisiting it and this is your first time playing it. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, I uh, I think I got my Vita like three years ago. A story very similar to yours, actually. I bought it off a friend um, for much cheaper than it was retailing it for. And uh, that's actually what made me sign up for a PlayStation Plus membership were the uh, free Vita games. So I just instantly had these Vita games on hand and... So this was like three years ago, and this game's been in my digital library, and I just now finally got around to playing it. So that was, uh, yeah, this is a game that's, um, it, it's it's unique, you know, that you, I don't feel like there's quite an experience like this on other systems, and so I think saying it's the killer app for the Vita is fitting. Uh, I mean, of course, Vita has, like, Uncharted, but of course you can play Uncharted games on PS3, and, you know, there's uh, Persona 4, but you can play it on PS2, and, you know, there's... Uh, you, you can't really, there, there's nothing else quite like Gravity Rush anywhere else, I, I would say. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've, it's funny you mentioned uh, the Uncharted game, uh, Uncharted Golden Abyss mm -hmm. and Persona 4 Golden, because those, those are probably my other two favorite games on the Vita. And I even have, I have a, a kind of a love-hate relationship with the modern Naughty Dog games, the Uncharted games and The Last of Us. But that Uncharted game is far and away my favorite Uncharted game. Um, the reason being there's not uh, too much combat. It's more like peppered in throughout the game. And it's not just endless Gears of War co cover shooting. And I actually kind of really like that game for that reason. But anyway, um, I digress. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Gravity Rush really uses the Vita's technology, which is one of the things 
just to get back to the hardware itself, it the Vita kind of, in addition to the memory card, the Vita was was lacking uh, software in the beginning, and it was really the three titles that we just mentioned that kind of were saddled with holding up the Vita, and it just wasn't enough. Um, as history has shown, Nintendo has conquered the market on handhelds and the Vita just recently is being added to the graveyard of handhelds that have tried to compete with the Nintendo Game Boy and DS systems. So it, as impressive as the technology is, with the, the, it's a really uh, rugged piece of hardware compared to the PSP. It's very solid. It has dual thumbsticks. It's still the only handheld system that has dual thumbsticks if you don't count the the extra thumbstick that you can buy for the 3ds um as of now just far superior like graphical and processing capabilities uh, versus any other handheld out there but sadly i mean like i said the soft the software just wasn't there and the competition was too harsh so i i wanted to just throw in about the vita a little bit because i kind of joked that in picking this game, I almost guaranteed zero participation because nobody likes the Vita, but I uh, I was proven kind of wrong by that because we had a few participants in the thread. Myself, uh, you, Steven. Uh, Link41 has played the game in the past, and I, he signed up initially, then said that he had lent the game out. But I wanted to include him and just give him a shout-out because he is like a fellow... Vita booster on rfgeneration.com so I, I I always see him in the gaming diary thread playing Vita games so that's kind of cool and then we got a user with a almost not safe for work username which is the Vita douche <laughs> who's a new user on the thread or, or on the site and uh, he ch chimed in in the thread that he was playing the game so uh, welcome aboard and uh we also had our old friend Jamie, uh, known as Tech Wizard, on the on the forum, join in, and he was uh, he has uh, chimed in on the thread and also PM'd me that he's really enjoying the game, so that was kind of cool. Hi, Jamie, uh, glad to have you aboard. So, Gravity Rush was a game that was actually initially planned to be a a PS3 game, which is kind of interesting to me, but they shifted development to the Vita, and the game was directed by Keiichiro Toyama and written by Naoko Sato, who worked on the original Silent Hill game and the Siren series, which is kind of cool to me. And Steven, I'm going to kind of pick your brain here because... Um, these are some of the the important survival horror titles uh, and franchises out there. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, Toyama directed, he hasn't directed a ton of games and they're basically the originally the original Silent Hill, the Siren series and the Gravity Rush games. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty big departure from those first two uh, series. Um, of course, I'm a big survival horror fan myself, so I've definitely played uh, the original Silent Hill games. And uh, Siren, I haven't played the original Siren, but I played the the digital PS3 uh, game that 
came out years ago. Um, yeah, I was surprised when I read that um, in your notes because um, I I would have never guessed. Um, it's I mean th- they seem like such very different games, like just in terms of uh, the gameplay itself and the uh, the tone of the games. Um, Gravity Rush is so much, it's kind of a lighthearted experience. It's not really a lot of horror or uh, those kind of aspects in it. Yeah, I I think it's very interesting to to go from that and and to also have, I love when when a developer can shift gears like that and be successful, uh, at least in my opinion. You know, what's the original Silent Hill being one of the all-time classic survival horror games and now Gravity Rush being, you know, a pretty well-regarded, you know, open-world superhero action game with RPG elements. So it's it's really cool. Um, So let's get into the story. And we were kind of discussing off the air before, before we started recording that the story, you can give a basic framework for it, but it's it gets really convoluted as it goes along. It's, it's like Metal Gear Solid levels of, of what the hell's going on here. And it's, I mean, you start the game as Cat, who is your main character, the playable character for the entire game. And in the beginning of the game, she wakes up and doesn't realize where she is and follows this cat that she names Dusty. And just... And within the first 10 minutes of the game, you discover your powers, which are the powers to manipulate gravity and fly. And as the game goes on, you're, you're helping citizens of, of the city and you're rebuilding the city. And it just goes from there where you're traveling through interdimensional rifts and you're meeting gods and creators of the universes. And then it turns into kind of a, totalitarian almost nazi-ish government thing at the end and then as the credits roll you get these twists and you know openings for a sequel for sure but man if somebody asked me like condense the story in a couple sentences i i just couldn't like i'm sorry (laughs) and as i told you off the air i've looked for like quickie explanations of this and I'm just going to I'm just going to claim dumb on this one. I mean, I don't know if you have anything to add, but no, I mean it's um it, it's not always a good sign when even the characters in the game don't seem to know what's going on. Um yeah, I mean, that's like right. you said cat she just wakes up and she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know who she is, where she is, how why how or why she has these powers. Um so of course we don't know either and you mentioned like all of a sudden the the, the town goes to like this totalitarian government thing and that just happens out of nowhere like you're in this like under you're sort of underneath the main city and it's I don't know I can't even explain it it's just you're you're down there for a little while but you find out you've been down there for like a year for some reason even though she says she feels like it's only been a few days and everything's changed up on the surface and yeah, yeah convolute is a pretty good word to describe it I couldn't really tell you what's going on right and then like you said, the whole like totalitarian thing just just all of a sudden happens, and these characters like Mayor Danica, who who is not mentioned, or if he is, it's so subtly that it doesn't matter. 
that he's all of a sudden like main bad guy mm-hmm. within like the last two story missions. Yeah. Uh, so it's very strange, but that, at least for me, it didn't, it, and this is my second time playing through the game and it still doesn't like detract from the experience. Um, I just kind of rolled with it much like a Metal Gear Solid game, even though I've, I've spoken on the air about how I do kind of have a grip on the Metal Gear Solid lore, but not really. Uh, but with this game, I just totally don't like not even close. Yeah, that's... um kind of describes how I played it too. I just sort of went along with it. And I, I think I've mentioned before that I, I do that a lot with games that I, I, I'm not one to sort of try to point out all the plot holes and look for all that stuff. And, you know, I just sort of take a story for what it is and just, just roll with it. So that's kind of what I had to do here. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> to the listeners, uh, sorry about that. If you want to roast us forward on the forum, by all means, uh, or help us out with it, let us know what the heck's going on in this game story wise. But uh, let's let's roll into the, the presentation here. Now, this this is one of the game's strengths is how the game looks, sounds and like the characters, designs and everything. So let's just start off. This is a cell shaded game. And uh, Toyama chose the cel-shaded game to kind of differentiate from the open world games in the West, which t- typically go for a more realistic feel. And as as I see, and as m- many of us see that are fans of cell shading it, it tends to give the game kind of a timeless look. Uh, if we look at games like The Wind Waker, for example... Uh, cell shaded games age very well, or at least they tend to. And in this game, it is kind of cartoony, but it's not. It's not as far cartoony on the spectrum as Wind Waker. It it kind of blends uh, a certain realism, especially in the city environments and the architecture, where the character models kind of look more cartoony. But um, other than the fact that some of the environments were a little muted in color. A lot of the other em- other environments were pretty colorful. I-, I felt the game in general could have been more colorful. But having said that, I really felt that the cel-shaded look of the game was was great. It, it looks really good. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it, it does look really good, and it, I'm really not the biggest fan of cel-shaded graphics, although I will agree that they do tend to age better than when a developer goes for more realism, and then, you know, 10 years later, it doesn't look so good anymore. Um, I will agree with what you said about the color palette being kind of muted. Um, th- there were some places where everything just looked red, you know, it was like, it, it was almost like you were looking at it in infrared or something. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, there were uh, other areas. I, I think of the, um, like the entertainment district area. It was it's like neon lights and it, it was pretty cool to look at. Um, but yeah, I'm not, not the biggest fan of cell shaded graphics, but it, I wouldn't, it didn't detract from the experience at all for me. I, and I, I do think it looked really good. Cool, man. And, and another big aspect of what I really love about this game is the music. And our composer for this game was Kohei Tanaka, who, works way more in anime than than he does in video games but he did work on Alundra uh Resonance of Fate and the Sakura Wars games so those are some kind of n- like niche 
n- not the uh, biggest blockbuster titles in the world, but games that are probably familiar to a lot of our listeners. Uh, but the music in this game, it's not the best in the world, but I think it's mentioned a lot on this podcast that, yeah, the music, or at least I, I'll speak for myself, where you'll, you'll ask me about the music and I'll say, man, it was okay. I didn't hate it. I didn't really notice yeah. it. Um, the music in this game, I think, is just a step above that, where a lot of it was, uh, I didn't love it, I didn't hate it, didn't notice it, but some of it I really liked. And uh, you mentioned the the colorful environment of the, the red light district area kind of place, mm-hmm. and the music in that area is like this bouncy, jazzy, like really upbeat, fun music uh, that was by far my favorite music in the game. But uh, Tanaka, his his work in this game is was just very um, appropriate throughout the whole game. Uh, you have intense music during battles and symphonic, breezy kind of nice music, which is good for flying around. Uh, I don't know if you have any other like comments to add about the music. No, I pretty much agree with what you said. You know, it's 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 pretty good. Um, even the uh, that entertainment district you mentioned it was like kind of upbeat and jazzy and. I I tend to not really like that style of music very much, but I still I actually liked it in this game. I don't know what it was. Maybe it just because it fit the setting so well. Um, but yeah, you know the music during the fights, like you said, they were intense, and overall it was yeah it was pretty good. Cool, and and we also have instead of like there are a few. There's like a handful of actual cinematic cutscenes, but the a lot of the pre-mission and in-between mission cutscenes are actually a comic book style where you scroll through panels and and read uh, speech blurbs. But there's a cool little gimmick that when you're looking at the comic book things, you can tilt the Vita and it gives it kind of a perspective shift. It's it's not really anything special, but it's kind of neat. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah and just to comment about like the, the comic book cutscenes kind of tie into the actual character models themselves. Cause like I said, where, where the environments are kind of a realistic environments with a shell, a cell shade, uh, over them, the character models are very comic booky or cartoony. And I actually noticed because I was, I was kind of, I don't want to dig too deep into this on the air, but I was thinking about Cat from the perspective of, you know, the 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 hot topic of of strong female protagonists in video games, um, and how she fits into that mold. And I thought, well, how how's her costume look? Is she over sexualized? Is she t- like too sultry? Is it impractical? But I actually realize that her costume is basically Wonder Woman's costume as far as coverage and it's just it's just a color swap on Wonder Woman's costume instead of being red white and blue it's black and gold and uh, I think it looks really cool um, and there there are some and again I don't want to delve too much into the the political stuff about you know female characters in video games there is some fan service with Kat uh, in a lot of the cutscenes, She's in a bath towel, like in, in a few of them. But for the most part, I think she she and Raven uh, have very like 
very cool, dignified, you know, sexy, but not too sexualized uh, character models and costumes. And I don't want to get too much further into it than that, but I don't know if you have any, if you, Stephen, have any comment on the, the look of the characters. I will say the costumes, they they were kind of revealing in a way, but I felt like Cat as a character seemed kind of um, young and innocent in a way and kind of naive and things like that. So I, I didn't really, it's almost like um, I didn't really feel like she was really sexualized um it's kind of might sound a little contradictory but uh but yeah i mean the costume it it it's kind of yeah well, it kind of was revealing but um it yeah, i don't know it just uh I, I think her character sort of downplayed that a lot yeah i think i think i get what you i think what you what you're maybe trying to say is that they walked a line successfully mm-hmm. that a lot of developers fall to either one side of being you know too sexy or too moe or naive and and kind of gross you know yeah. we see that a lot yeah. in games it's again it's a hot topic right now politically in in video games but i think they really walked a line nicely here without falling off the edge to either direction yeah i thought it was a uh, there was one part where she's talking to this i believe like an older woman in the game and she says something about the way cats dressed and you know, the little, uh, you, there's in the little speech bubbles, if it's in parentheses, it, that'll be like what cats thinking. And in, in that, in those parentheses, she said something like, what's wrong with the way I'm dressed? You know, right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was funny. Um, so yeah, now we can get into the real meat of this discussion which is going to be the actual gameplay the combat all the the good stuff in this game so the game if if anybody if our listeners have played say infamous or prototype or any of those open world superhero games that kind of were kicked off with a game called spider-man 2 (laughs) which uh a lot of people know was one one of the first of the open world superhero games as we know them. Uh, and the director of this game said he was he was influenced a lot by the game Crackdown, which I know a lot of forum users on RF Generation are a fan of that game. So what we have here is a, a superhero game where you, you're in an open world environment and you. Uh, activate missions uh, much in the way you would in in any open world game like Grand Theft Auto you find an icon on your map and go to it and start a mission and that's how you go through the main story there are uh, 20 uh, main story missions or 21 I forget exactly but you got your main story missions and then you have side missions and the side missions are contextually presented as public service projects which i thought was kind of cool like every every challenge mission or side mission is you go to a place and you get the power plant running by donating some of your gems and it's i love the animation where she opens the hatch and throws the gems in (laughs) and then she slams it shut and slaps it and i don't know why but i love when she just slaps it like there you go. Get that going. <laughs> so you're doing things around the city. The, the whole game is based around Cat wants to help the people in the city. So I thought it was kind of cool that 
in order to open the the challenge maps and the side missions you're you're activating an elevator or building a bridge or something but you get this cool little animation to do it um did you do any of the challenge maps yeah i i tried it's funny the first time i played the game i didn't i because a lot of them are keyed into some of the more weird uh, abilities that you have, like the sliding ability when you're doing the sliding races and Uh you have to use the motion controls and it's really tricky. But this time for the purposes of, you know, having a good playthrough and a good podcast, I wanted to try them all. And um, yeah, some of them I liked, some of them I didn't. The races where you're going checkpoint to checkpoint flying around, I didn't really love, but I ended up actually liking the ones where you're sliding around that I said that I didn't like the first time around. Hmm. So what about you? Did you do those? I, I know you were, you're going for those gems and we'll explain what yeah. those are in a minute, but were you hitting all those side I missions? I actually didn't do any of them. Uh, no way. <laughs> I know. I know. I was, I'm usually <laughs> you know, kind of a completionist and try to do all this stuff, but it was kind of a combination of, um, I was a little bit pressed for time trying to finish this game. And uh, I figured a lot of that stuff would be kind of annoying time trial stuff. So I yeah, know, pretty much. Uh, I is. just didn't really want to subject myself to that. But uh, yeah, you mentioned like the the sliding mechanic, and I that was something I just really couldn't get to work very well, like steering it. So I'm kind of glad I didn't. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'd feel different if I actually did the challenge map. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it might be something I go back and you know in, here in the next few days and maybe maybe mess around with it some. But uh, yeah, no, I actually didn't do any of that. So, yeah, there were three. There are three kinds. One of them is the sliding race, which is checkpoint to checkpoint. Another one's the gravity checkpoint to checkpoint time trial, and then there's one that's just a combat thing, which is fight as many nevi in a certain area in a certain time, and and your time extends as you beat beat enemies. Um, one thing to note is that even though you can win gems by doing the the side missions you can't grind on them so once you get like first second or third place you get those gems and you can't place again you have to either do better or you're you're done with it or you don't get anything so you can't just like find an easy mission and just replay it over and over and get all the gems you want yeah that makes sense yeah exactly um so yeah, so that's it. That's your that's your open world structure. You got story missions and then a bunch of side mission. Cha- the, the side missions are just challenges, challenge races and stuff. Um, you also do have something that will show up on your map are conversations, and there are one or two story missions where you you have to actually do the conversations to gather information to progress the story but the com the conversations are really just kind of superfluous wow (laughs) (laughs) superfluous and uh just add a little bit of color context to to the world uh some of them are neat but again with the story being what it is you're a lot of times just left kind of wondering how what the person is saying is is fitting into the story did you did you get anything out of the the conversations or did you do any of those uh, yeah i usually um you know check those out when i saw them um I, I don't feel like they really added a lot to the story overall but i thought they were really good for kind of fleshing out the characters particularly cat so you could just kind of get more of an idea of what she thinks about things um and i really enjoyed them from that perspective 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But basically all they are, it's, it's just like in an RPG, just having a throwaway conversation with an NPC. That's, that's essentially what they yeah. were. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the open world. There's no, there's no shops. There's no, you don't have vehicles. So there's no, you know, upgrade to your vehicles. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a bare bones ish open world, but again, it's more of an action superhero game in it set in an open world. We do have some RPG elements in this game, and that's where the gems come into play. They are scattered all throughout the world. There are different sized gems that are worth different values, and you need to collect these gems to upgrade Cat's powers. Um, Cat on the ground, she has a, a kick that uh, basically a kicking attack that she can do on the ground, but she also has uh, her flight abilities, which she'll be doing most of the time, which is a, a flying kick, which locks onto enemies. And then you have special attacks that you earn by doing key story missions. So the whole point of getting the gems is to upgrade all of these things. And they start with kind of low level caps, but as you progress through the game, the level caps will be increased. Um, when Kat says, like, my my powers are increasing, then you know you can go in and load up uh, some more of those powers to higher levels. So, as usual, uh, Stephen, I'm sure, I think you mentioned on the forum that you had a lot of fun searching for these gems, and I think the, the gem hunt in this game, or... Uh, it was done pretty well. I, I it reminded me a lot of Infamous and finding those blue thingies everywhere uh, to upgrade the powers in that game. Yeah, but uh, I, um, yeah, I I think I mentioned on the forum that hunting down the gems was it reminded me of games like Infamous and, and Crackdown. Which it's funny that you mentioned that the creator of this game was inspired by Crackdown. So uh, I think yeah, and specifically for the power ups, and, yeah, and you know what I mean. So it it is very much like that. I, I mean, I spent down. most of my time in Crackdown, just exploring the the open world, looking for the uh the these orbs is what that was, what what they were called in Crackdown, but it's very similar in in Gravity Rush, and yeah, every time I unlocked a new area of the city that I could explore, I would just spend ten, fifteen, twenty minutes. I don't know how long, just flying around looking for gems and I, I remember there was um i think i was in a boss fight towards the end of the game and i was instead of fighting the boss i was going and collecting these gems that i was seeing yeah i did that a few times myself especially when you can see off in the distance the big ones yeah, exactly. which are worth like 20 or 25 yeah, or whatever yeah. it is and it's like oh i gotta go get those <laughs> especially when there's like a bunch of them together it's like oh man the mother load so you gotta like fly i think i was flying so far I eventually flew out of the zone for the boss fight and it had to like, you know, put me back in the, <laughs> yeah, it'll redirect you and it'll say, oh, no, I have to fight this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that. So you, you have that collect-a-thon aspect in this game. And like I said, it's pretty well done. Sometimes this, this kind of thing can be annoying in games. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, I got to find all these things. Like if it's someone like you, Steven, you like doing it. Me, I can go either way. If it's, if it's well done, I'm into it. And if it's not, it's, it feels like a chore. But I think for this game, uh, it works well for a couple of reasons. And one, one is because they're, they're, pretty well placed well designed some of them are hidden some of them are right out in the open you'll run into a nice little cluster every once in a while but the other thing is the game is 
the game can be challenging, but it's not a very hard game. So it's not like you feel, at least for me, I didn't feel like I had to hunt down gems. Like I didn't have to grind on hunting gems to upgrade cat to be able to do certain things. Would you agree with that? Yeah. To, um, I, I, I mean, of course I, I did the upgrades, but I guess I never felt like, I guess maybe incrementally, I never felt like they were doing a big difference. I guess collectively they, they probably are. Um, as far as like upgrading her, her attack power and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we mentioned on the forums how we would like kind of exploit the little health, um, level up thing where if you were low on health, you could level up your max health and you all of a sudden would be back at full health again. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was very, that was something I, I used quite a bit, but, uh, and I, you know, and I, I was upgrading one of the, um, like special abilities you get. And, uh, I, I don't know. I just kind of never really felt like it was doing any more damage anytime I upgraded, but I, I mean, surely it had to be, but it just didn't really kind of seem like it. Yeah. A lot of the, that is true that the feedback for upgrading your powers is not as pronounced as maybe it could have been. Mm -hmm. For example, when you upgrade the homing kick, it says that, your power or the homing ability will get better, which is fine. I, you know, I'm fine with that being kind of invisible, but I never felt like I homed in better through any, at any time throughout the game. I always felt like, and I mentioned on the forum, I thought the homing power was a little bit lacking. Um, and I don't feel like it ever got better no matter how much I upgrade the, the gravity kick. So yeah, I always, um, the, as far as like the the homing feature, it, it was kind of frustrating in that you would try to target the cursor over an enemy, and it's supposed to do this kind of auto lock on thing. But often you would still just sort of whiff right past them. And uh, I I really wish this game had like a hard lock on feature where you could just press a button and lock onto an enemy, and you know it, I think it would have uh, helped the combat quite a bit. Yeah, definitely, and that that's a good way to segue into the combat in general, uh, which is a lot of people, including me, that's the biggest problem with the game is the combat. It's, now, it's not bad, but what you're fighting are these the, uh, monsters called Nevi, and they, ha they all have this um, obvious weak point, which is like this big red glass bulb somewhere on their body. Some of them have multiple ones of those. And you have to aim for those. That's the only way you can hurt or kill pretty much every enemy in the game. And some of the enemies, they can get very, very frustrating because a lot of the times the only thing you can use is the gravity kick. And I always ran into the problem, especially during my first playthrough a couple of years ago, where I couldn't hit anything because I would just be flying through the air with the kick and they would just kind of move out of the way right at the last second. Yeah. And you'd end up kind of kind of hooking around them as you continue to try to home in and 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 seek them. It's it's weird and it's hard to explain it until you actually do it, but it can be very frustrating. Um, yeah, so, I would get frustrated with that as well. And I, it made, I felt like the just regular battles in the game where you're fighting just the regular nevi enemies were actually more difficult most times than the boss fights because there were usually there were quite a group of them and you know you're you're trying to hit them but they keep moving out of the way and they're throwing projectiles at you and uh, so yeah it was it was definitely frustrating at times 
Yeah, and another like kind of frustration for some people is that the the dodge mechanic is mapped to swiping the front screen, which some people really don't like. I I I felt like I kind of got the hang of it early on, and I even posted on the forum that I stupidly didn't even realize you could do it while you were in midair until like halfway through the game. But that made the game a hell of a lot easier once I realized that because I was kind of like slow dodging by flying out of the way of uh, projectiles, for example. But you can just swipe and she'll dodge midair. Yeah, I didn't make much use of the swiping to dodge, actually. I I didn't even try to dodge much in general. I would just try to run straight through everything, and which I took a lot of damage, and I would, you know, there, of course there are, like, green health gems scattered around that you can use to get your health back, and, you know, there's a little health level up exploit we were talking about. Um, right. Even, you know, with my reckless way of playing the game, I, I don't think I even died or got a game over once in this game. I, I may I may be wrong. I may have maybe got one early on, but uh, I, so it, it's not a particularly difficult game. Um, but yeah, I, I probably should have taken the time to get used to the dodge mechanic. But uh, yeah, I just I, I don't really like things that make use of motion controls or touch controls. So I, you know, if, if I don't necessarily have to use it, I probably won't. Yeah, same here, and and that brings up a good point as far as the controls in general and the kind of, you can say gimmick if you want to, of when you're in flight. So you go into flight by hitting the R shoulder button, and that kind of suspends you in midair, and you can kind of propel Cat in the direction you're facing by hitting hitting the R button again. And theoretically, you should be able to tilt the Vita to move the camera and kind of aim Cat in the direction you want her to go. But I found myself just using the right stick to do that most of the time. Yeah, same here. And it sometimes it felt like it worked, and sometimes it seemed like it didn't. So I'm not really sure what, what the case was with that. But uh, yeah, as far as like trying to move the Vita itself, yeah, I wasn't doing that at all. Yeah, and, and speaking of the controls and the physics of the game, there's one thing that kind of bothered me throughout the whole game, and I've, I have I want to just throw it out here, that when Cat is flying, and, and you actually will gain a power pretty early in the game that gives you, like, super speed flight, where if you're flying, you can hold X, and she'll go even faster. You can hit the L trigger to just turn off your gravity powers and go into a free fall, but if you're traveling, if you're flying, gravity, uh, you, you, you're using your gravity power and flying, even at the fastest speed, if you just hit left, you lose all your m- momentum and just go into a free fall, which doesn't make sense because if Cat is just flying, she should have the momentum of the flight that she was in. Even if, even if you stopped propelling yourself you would keep going a distance in the direction you were going so just from a scientific standpoint I, I always had a problem with that where you just kind of stop and then start falling when you turn off the gravity power so yeah i would i don't um, know like if i was trying to like land on a platform i would you know be flying in that direction and i would usually try to just turn off the gravity powers just so i would and time it right so i would land on it but it would never work and it's probably because of the sort of wonky physics there but right right 
but and as far as flying just getting back to the like the the character models and the animations i really love the animation that they use for cat while she's flying she just has this like this like she's not flailing but her body just looks relaxed and she's kind of just she's not flying like superman with her arms (laughs) out yeah you know what I mean? She She's just floating and her body is rotating and her arms and legs are just kind of sprawling about. It's it's really cool and beautiful. Like, I, I, I love the choices that they made with those animations. It looks so cool and it makes me feel like that's kind of how it would be if you could fly, you know? If, mm-hmm. if you weren't, like, flapping your arms or had your hands in front of you like superman that's that's more like what it would be like so i just wanted to touch on that that i love those animations. yeah I'm, I'm glad they they went with that because it, it it probably would look really silly if she was flying like superman or something uh you know but yeah it, it looked really cool what what they did with that yeah so uh, getting back to the combat, so we we had our troubles with the homing kick and and some of the dodging mechanics. But one thing that makes the game easier are the special attacks, which are part of the upgrade system. You can upgrade them and make them better as you go along if you have the right amount of gems. Now, I only got. Th- are there three? I I forgot to look this up because I think there is one that I didn't get. Or there's only three, I, uh, and I'm not sure. To my knowledge, there's only three. Okay, if that's true, then that's fine. You get these during, again, key story missions, usually the ones that have boss battles at the end. The first one is the drill kick, which is this prolonged kick where cat just kind of spins around like a drill. And it does. if you hit the right spot, it can really deplete the enemy's health very quickly yeah. and in certain instances can be a very useful attack yeah, Did i think you... that's the one i use the most um oh okay cool yeah i uh especially on on boss fights yeah it was very helpful yeah if you get it right you can really you could take away almost half of an enemy's health yeah, like yeah. by using that correctly the other one is the gravity typhoon, which is where she unleashes this like kind of barrage of boulders that she launches from wherever you're looking. And I found this one to be really good for groups of enemies where you can kind of pick off a bunch of enemies at once from a distance. I like this one a lot. Did you use use that at all? I never use this one. I don't even think I ever saw it. I mean, I know I had it, but I never, yeah, I never used this, this one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it can be. And the, the, the stones or whatever they are that she's shooting tend to hit their mark. Like they're, they're better at homing than your homing kick is like they'll hit whatever you throw them at. So, Hmm. um, the fourth one is, I believe it's called the black hole or the gravity black hole or something. something And that one just creates a field around cat that does damage to the enemies that are near her. And I found this one to be the least useful for the most part because it only really works if you're on the ground because it 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 works on a flat plane and creates a circle around around cat basically. So when you're in the air, uh, at least in my opinion, it doesn't work that great because you have to be close to enemies and they have to be on that plane that's kind of a orbit around cat. So I, I found it really good for when you're just getting uh, 
ambushed uh, by groups on the ground, which is not very often in this game. Yeah, I I use this one um, kind of late in the game for some of the groups um, that were on the ground. Um, they were particularly when there were larger enemies that had like multiple uh, weak spots that you had to take out. So it seemed like a good way to sort of hit all those weak points and to hit all these enemies at once. And I found it pretty effective um, for those situations. But this was like very late in the game that I started using it. So I, yeah, I, I mean, perhaps the, uh, the, the other one you mentioned might've been better for those situations. But, uh, um, as far as like taking out groups of enemies, this was kind of like my go-to, um, skill late in the game. Yeah. It's like all the skills are, are viable skills. None of them are useless. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what combat is. And it, it, another thing is the enemy, the, the Nevi are the only enemies in the game with the exception of the final boss of the game, which is also kind of fueled by a Nevi and ha- ends up having Nevi weak points at the end. But the, they did a pretty good job, I think, with having variation in the types of, of Nevi. So it's, it's basically like a shadowy, like black kind of creature with, like I said, a big red glass orb somewhere on his body that you have to hit. And there were ones that start off, they're just uh, little crawly things that crawl around on the ground. And then there's more imaginative ones as the game goes on. Like one that has a, the, the orb is like on its, on its butt, but it, it'll lean over and have like a spear in front of it and charge at you. And you have to, find a way to get behind it but as the game goes on they get more and more complex like those big uh guys like you were saying with the with the multiple uh orbs on their back but they have this like cool fist thing that punches out at you and comes flying at you Uh, but also all the boss battles are just variations of the nevi and i think you I forget if you PM'd me or put it on the forum that you had a little bit of trouble with the the boss battle during the story mission that had the character of Echo, which is somebody that you just had to um, save. I I think I did have a couple close calls during that fight. I actually don't remember that fight very well, but I kind of remember that that mission. I think I think that might have been the first part, the first point in the game, the first fight where I. Uh, kind of had to try to play a little more safe yeah you know i would have to back off and hunt down some some of those green health gems and but uh yeah i I guess i had a little trouble with that one but i I don't remember too well yeah i think the the boss battles because they are just variation uh, just another variation of a nevi like a super nevi if you will they tend to be a little bit less memorable than uh, any other game that has more fleshed out boss battles. But that's not to say they're bad. And that particular mission with Echo, you're fighting a, a Nevi that's kind of running around this university environment. So you have to go in. He is going in between the buildings and you have to find a way to get to him before he kills her i forget yeah i remember now it's kind of like he's he's sort of like holding echo or something and you have to be careful not to hit her right which is sort of like which is a little bit of a pain because you have to you have to be kind of careful about that but yeah 
And then one of the things, like later on, the one that's, um, actually, there's one that has a name when you're saving the kids. I think it's called Nucci or something. Yeah. Um, that one, I, that was probably my least favorite because I found myself just kind of waiting for my special attack to recharge, which I, I guess we forgot to mention when you do those special attacks, you, you have one use of it and then it it just has to it has a long cooldown period before you can use it again i i think it's like minutes it's probably like two minutes or something so sometimes with these bosses they were so dangerous as far as like projectiles or something that it was hard to get near them to attack them so i would just kind of wait it out until my special attack recharged and then go in for another couple of hits and then just keep doing that yeah, and this fight was kind of frustrating because it's this boss is sort of like this flying snake or almost like a centipede kind of thing, and so he's like flying around and he's moving, and you have there's like several. I think at the beginning there's just one gem, but later on there's like several along his back, and they can be kind of tough to hit because we talked about the homing kick doesn't always work as well as we would like it to, and it, it, right. it's a moving target, so it's yeah, it can be frustrating when you keep trying to kick him and he's you just go right past them and yeah yeah that was a little frustrating so i i actually did like the final boss though because that's kind of a contrast to the it's a contrast a to just being variations of the nevi and b uh for once in a modern game it's not just a quick time (laughs) event and I think it's it's actually worth noting that you you do do this like finisher at the end of every boss where you have to touch the screen, which is actually I wouldn't even consider it a quick time event. But if you could call it that, it's a better use of of that kind of mechanic to do that because you all you actually had a fight, which was like in game combat. And then when you get the health low enough, you do this uh, not so quick time event kind of thing where you have to touch the screen and that sets off the animation of cat like destroying the enemy so the final boss is uh called called the anemone is it yeah and that is a creation of the totalitarian government and it's basically this or like it's like the death star it's like a mini death star that's that is on the surface created to uh destroy the nevi but again, in this convoluted story, I think what's happening is that the government is actually going to use the Nevi to kind of enslave or kill the people or whatever. So, go ahead. Oh yeah, you, it was, that was um, yeah they they say they created this machine to um, they say it's supposed to wipe out the Nevi, but apparently it's being powered by the Nevi. They were trying to harness the powers of the Nevi to, which seems like a bad idea to me but uh <laughs> right but yeah there, there was there was some talk at the end where they're like they're saying they're gonna have to like self-destruct this thing and uh they're like it's gonna kill all the people underneath the town and they're like well you know this is part of our you know population decreasing plan or something and i, I, <laughs> I mean it was really weird i wasn't really sure what they were talking about but apparently their plan was like kill all these people or something i yeah again not really explained uh, very well Right, but the the final boss battle itself is pretty good. Like it's a three stage battle, and it's actually the only battle that I, I I'm pretty sure it's the only battle in the game that has a checkpoint in it, and it's after the second stage of the the boss. Um, so it's pretty cool, and contextually, story wise, it fits in where 
the other characters in the game help you with the boss battle. You have to lure the thing towards Raven and then towards this other character whose name I forget, who's another like kind of cool superhero-ish person who is working for the government, who I wish got a little bit more fleshed out, but she was introduced with that government subplot like right at the end of the game, so we don't get a chance to get to know her to the point where I, I forgot her name even. But she helps you, and then the final part of the battle is all the Nevi weak points come out and you have to destroy them. Uh, and then you do it and then roll credits. Did, did you enjoy the final boss battle? Like, how did you feel about that? And compared to the other boss battles in the game? Yeah, I was actually, the game as a whole, I, I felt like was starting to kind of drag on and get kind of tedious for me towards the end. But those last two chapters, which were just the final two boss fights, I actually enjoyed quite a bit. And I guess the boss fight before the final boss is that other character who I be- name I believe was Unica. Yes, she's sort of like yes. this flying uh, girl with a like a jet pack and this sort of spear-like arm attachment, which can apparently morph into like this Mega Man type blaster thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she helps you with that final boss fight, and, and Raven, who is another character you see all throughout the game, and uh, yeah, it kind of starts out. I don't remember to be honest, but I did enjoy those fights. Um, you have to hit the the weak points, and then I think at the end it starts spinning around, and you can't actually touch it. So yeah, that, yeah that's, that's when you have where to lure you have it to... over to the yeah. other characters, and they'll sort of do that little power attack, and that that weakens it for a little bit, and you have a chance to hit the weak spots, and then yeah, I think you do that uh, sort of quick time thing, which I, I don't even think I would really call it a quick time event. It's just like you said, you just tapped up the enemy on the screen and. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much, pretty much it. And I thought it was an enjoyable boss fight. Yeah, I, th- I, I agree. And I think it was a great, like kind of satisfying way to, to conclude the game from at least a gameplay perspective. Again, thank God it's just not a, <laughs> uh, a quick time event yeah. or something really lame or uh, some kind of letdown. It was a classic, like fully fleshed out three-stage boss battle and it that was really uh welcome for this game so that about that about wraps wraps up the 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 discussion of the actual game gameplay music graphics combat unless you have anything else to add um i think i might just want to mention the camera really quick because when sure. you're like when yeah, you're shifting definitely. the gravi- shifting gravity all over the place and the perspective's changing, it can get really disorienting. And I kind of wish games that do things like this would just kind of leave the camera, like in, in like the the right uh, perspective instead of flipping it around with the character, because it gets really confusing. Uh, maybe just you know change the position of the character model so you know like which which way their their gravity is applying to them. But you know I. I don't know. It it got really disoriented at times. So I, you know, because you, you're shifting gravity and you don't know which way is up and which way is down, and it's just it gets really confusing. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. And having said that, I I think they did a pretty good job. The camera only went like wonky or crazy for me a couple times. Well, not a more than a couple, maybe a dozen times throughout my entire playthrough. But I, I, I'm really gl- glad you brought that up because I think it's important to note that like 
if you're a person who has motion sickness from games, uh, you might want to stay away from this one. I would kind of compare it to maybe Mario Galaxy. It's kind of the same kind of thing where you, where the perspective shifts constantly and you're running underneath and sideways and all every direction and you can get flipped upside down in a moment's notice. So if you tend to have uh, motion sickness, you might want to research this game and maybe watch some footage first before you purchase and try to play it. But for everyone else, I give this game a wholehearted, strong recommendation. It's it's one of the best games on the Vita. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I mentioned on the forum, the first time I played it, I liked it, but the the frustrations with the combat really got to me the first time I played it. This time I had a much more enjoyable experience. I think I learned some things. I learned some tricks. I used the dodge mechanic more as we spoke about. Um, I really love Kat. I found her to be a very relatable character as she was, you know, I think designed to be. I think they really nailed her like girl next door kind of persona. Again, without being too sultry and sexy, she was still um, strong and attractive, and I, I, I just great character. I love her, and and the the gameplay itself uh, goes really well with the the aesthetic of the world and everything. And I just think it's a overall very cohesive experience. the The whole package comes together, with the exception of the overly convoluted story which we keep hammering on uh if you can get past that you've got a really fun experience uh ahead of you i don't know how you yeah in general I, um yeah i i think i mentioned that this was a game that i mean I, I, of course i've had it ever since i've had the vita because i have got it through um, playstation plus but um i i never checked it out after all this time because i kind of never thought it looked all that appealing uh, I mean, I didn't think it looked bad or anything, just not like something I particularly wanted to check out. But um, as I played it, I really started to enjoy it. And I feel like it kind of drug on a little bit in the middle, like particularly around the point where you're kind of underneath the city and you're with those kids and everything. And um, you're just kind of down there for a while, just mostly fighting that big uh, snake-like boss. But um, yeah, at the end, it really came together with some you know, really cool boss fights and I agree about the character. I thought she was a really, really cool um, character. Um, you know, I always like just seeing what she would say because she was, you know, she was she was kind of funny and you know, uh, seemed kind of uh, innocent and like she just a genuine, genu genuinely uh, good person who wanted to help you know the people of the city and you know just trying to do the right thing and yeah, it all all came together really well. And I think I agree with what you said. It's just uh, overall a good package. Cool. So as we're recording this, there has there have been announcements made that there are, is going to be a uh, remastering of the original game uh, next year, which would be 2016, which is going to come out on the PS4 and maybe PS3 if I'm not mistaken, but definitely PS4 because the sequel, Gravity Rush 2, uh, was announced very recently. And I couldn't be more excited for a sequel to a game this is uh one of the i posted on twitter that this might be the one this might be the game that 
sells me on getting a new console, which would be the PS4, because I still haven't gotten into the eighth generation at this point, and I'm just waiting for something that's going to make me want uh, a PS4. But I actually watched uh, a trailer for Gravity Rush 2, and it looks, it does look a lot like the first game, like it's going to be a, a sequel in the truest sense it looks like like the gameplay looks very similar but to see it on a big screen I was just like my jaw hit the floor and I think it's one of those things like when you're playing a handheld console and it it's transferred onto the big screen and it looks right and it looks good I was just like oh my god I have to have this I cannot wait to play this game it looks amazing have you seen this trailer or have you seen anything about Gravity Rush 2 or I, do you have any will you have any interest in it now that you've played I, the first um, one I mean I've, of course I've heard about it and you know it's upcoming release I don't think I've seen any trailers or anything um I will it's something that will definitely be on my radar when it comes out um I will uh I I can't promise that I'll play it um, like r- soon after it's released because I I just have so many other games and you know, it's just something I have to see if I get to it but uh, I'll definitely be interested and I'm, I'm sure I'll pick it up at some point but um, yeah it's that and and the the remaster that's coming out as well um, I you know definitely I'm sure I'll pick those up at some point yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure about the remaster maybe because I I am not the kind of person well i say this every time <laughs> every time i play a game i like for the second time i say well i don't usually do this but now this is like the fourth time i'm saying it um but i don't know if i would go back for a third time as much as i love this game but you know what if it came out for playstation plus again or something mm-hmm. cheap you know what i think to see this game translated again to see the first game just translated to a big screen kind of and take away the motion controls like hopefully they wouldn't do like six axis stuff but it was on the ps4 they don't have that anyway so i don't know i i i think it will look awesome for sure and uh but i just i can't wait for the second game to come out um i think it's going to be great so yeah that that i think that wraps up gravity rush man if if anybody if you own a playstation vita you got to have this game uh, if you don't own a PlayStation Vita, try to get one cheap because it's a really cool, advanced piece of hardware. And just because of some missteps that Sony took as far as the memory card and and software development, it's a real shame because this thing is a really solid, well-built machine and it's a powerhouse, technically. Uh, it's playing games that almost look like PS3 quality. So... That's that's my two cents on the Vita and Gravity Rush in general. Yeah, I, I agree about the Vita. It's um, it, it's a great system. I really like the the interface and everything of it. It's just a shame that Sony's more or less abandoned it. But it does get a pretty decent um Japanese support. So if you're like into RPGs and things like that, there's you know actually a lot yeah, of a lot stuff. of great games on there. So definitely yeah, worth picking one up. Coming out, especially if you have a playstation plus subscription you still get two vita games every month Mm -hmm. so um that's definitely worth it so this is the point of the show where normally we would talk about the modern game that we're going to play next month but we have a little bit of an, an announcement to make at this point in the show which is that 
going forward, uh, for December, we're actually going to do our uh, a competition like we normally do, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But starting next year, the playthroughs are going to go from two games a month to one game a month. And we're not going to do a retro and a modern game anymore. We're just going to do one game a month, and it could be either retro or modern. And, uh, you know, the other hosts and I are going to decide what the game is, and we're going to have some kind of consensus on that game. Uh, this hopefully will concentrate the player base a little bit and get better participation where people aren't going to have to choose or think about playing two games in a month. Uh, so this is, I think, a really good send-off uh, to our modern segment. This is our last dedicated modern segment. So I, I'm really glad it was a game like Gravity Rush, a game that I love, and and we could really give it a good send-off with it with a nice title. And eh, it's been fun. I mean. You know, being on the air with Floyd and with you, Stephen, talking about modern games. Uh, you know, I'm happy with the this, the decision that we made to go to one game, but I'm going to miss having uh, representation of modern titles in general going forward. But that's that's where we are right now with the playthroughs and with the podcast. Uh, Stephen, I don't know if you have any further commentary on that, but I just uh, wanted to you know, put that on the air for everybody to know. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a good run, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the changes, especially after this month. It was a little overwhelming because I was playing both games and I was kind of cutting it close on both uh, to get to the recording in time. But yeah, you mentioned we're hoping it might concentrate the player base a little bit more, and but we're also, it, we kind of want to bring us hosts back together too because we're always been so segmented between the two different podcasts or the, the segments of the podcast so this is a kind right. of way to you know, unify us so we hope we get some better uh, discussions as well out of this cool and so having said that i'm sure rich and i'm sure you and rich talked about this on the other segment when you recorded for uh, secret of evermore but we're doing our run and gun competition in december which again is going to be uh, the usual like competition with like rules and prizes and a high score challenge. So check that out. We're going to play Contra, Rolling Thunder 2, and Metal Slug 3. So if you have any or all three of those games, come and check us out and join us on the forum. It's going to be really fun. And also, uh, it's probably worth mentioning that next month we're going to do our end of the year show that we did last year and we had a blast with it. So we're going to have kind of look back on 2015 and do some superlatives for some of our favorite games and favorite playthroughs and best moments of the year. So it's going to be a good month for the playthrough itself and for the podcast also. So hope you join us. Check us out on uh, rfgeneration.com. And that brings us to the end of our 20th episode. Thank you very much for listening, and as usual, a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs. 
Remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs, discuss the games we play, or leave feedback about this podcast. As usual, we have something very special planned for our December playthrough. This year we're hosting a run-and-gun competition complete with prizes and guaranteed fun for the participants who have what it takes to blast their way through Contra, Rolling Thunder 2, and Metal Slug 3. Check out the December 2015 run-and-gun competition thread on RF Generation for complete details. Thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.